Welcome, Fair Tarnished, to the Finger Guns podcast, celebrating all things Elden Ring. It's been four months since the original release of the game, and we thought, hey, we all had a really good time with it, those of us who have played it. So we thought, why not do an entire podcast dedicated just to playing, or rather, talking about playing Elden Ring. So joining me today to celebrate this monumentous occasion of all things from software, um, we have our second guest appearance from Dung Eater Josh Thompson, nominated for that name by himself. Welcome, Dung Eater Josh. How are you? It was just a suggestion. <laughs> I did not ask to be Dung Eater. I just so happened to be Dung Eater. Thank you yeah. for having me on again. I mean, the fact it was the first title you went to kind of said a lot, to be honest. I couldn't pass up the opportunity, really. Well, I'm sorry. It's, it's the one that stood out to me in the intro, you know, that epic intro that we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about. Um, yes. <laughs> yes. It was... Hold up minute. Yeah, it was quite an interesting uh, interesting play from From, from, from Soft, but they're uh, not shy about some of the titles that they give some of their characters. Um, but yes, I very much appreciate that one. I think it turned out much better than the one I was originally going to give you. <laughs> Well, you're welcome. Did a great job, mate. And then also joining us for the first time ever on a Finger Guns podcast is Star Scourge Tom Woods, the newest member of the crew. He's already written a couple of things up for the site, which you can already go and check out for yourself if you want to. I've read them myself. They're really interesting. And he's a very good writer. So welcome, Tom, to your debut podcast. How are you? Good, sir. Uh, hello. I'm I'm good. Happy to be here and nervous to be here. Yeah, absolutely. It's nerve-wracking, isn't it? It's it's something. <laughs> well, you can always take solace in the fact that you're not having to host this podcast because, uh, yeah, sitting in my seat right now, I'm kind of shitting my pants. But luckily, we can get through it together. <laughs> yeah. So... In order to kind of start this podcast, um, I just wanted to, I guess, more for the listeners' sake, kind of go over a bit of our overall impressions of how we found the game individually. Um, if you have a score for it out of 10 or out of 100 or however you like to score things, you know, please do so that I guess we can give a nice kind of context of how we all feel about the game. Um, but also just to, I guess, clarify our positions kind of coming into it as well, because I think we're all coming from a similar perspective of how good we think Elden Ring is or isn't. Um, but I guess there might be some slight deviation, so it's good to get an overall impression. So I thought I'd start with you, Josh, because obviously we've spoken a bit about it before. But Elden Ring, if you were to kind of sum up your perspective on it, what would it be? Um, overall, I'm excited to see a second one. Um, I think the first one has been amazing. It's a huge leap forwards in how... Uh, from software create their games um, I think near the end they kind of tripped themselves up a little bit with some of the new things they've been testing out with the game um, so I'm yeah I'm looking forward to seeing what they could bring to under second Elden Ring. Is that Elden Ring 2 confirmed by Dung Eater Josh? I think it's been spoken about before. I'm not. I'm not breaking news here. I think. <laughs> I think they have spoken about an Elden Ring too. I'd be surprised if they didn't, especially given its like commercial and universal critical success. You know, they'd almost exactly. be a bit crazy. But then Bloodborne was incredibly successful, and we still haven't had a second one of those yet. So you know, we won't go there. We all suffer. We all suffer, don't we? Um, but yeah, I think you make a fair point. Um, sounds like you really enjoyed it, and you know. I guess we're going to get to it, but the end of the game also had a couple of points that, you know, I felt a bit differently about to some of the universal acclaim too. So it'll be interesting to see what comes up with that. So yeah, nice start. What about you, Tom? What's your overall impression? If you could give it a score, what would it be? How do you feel about it? 
Um, I think it is the best from software software game that they have made since the start of Souls esque titles. Um, it's not my favorite. Bloodborne is my favorite. Um, but in terms of mechanics and design, it's it's like the culmination of everything they've done in the last 10, 11 years uh, coming together and just, I don't know, creating something that it's not new. It is an open world RPG, but it feels fresh because they're so willing to just trust the player to pl- play the game. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it was it, playing it. As I was playing, it, I was like, "Oh my god, it's here! I'm I'm playing Elden Ring," and it is, <laughs> and, it, and it was everything that I think I wanted it to be. I can't, I can't not say it's a ten out of ten because it it really is to me. I couldn't find enough with it that I'd fault that I couldn't I couldn't give it any less. Yeah, awesome. And I think, you know, you're definitely not alone in that perspective. When we saw the reviews coming out, you know, it, it was massive. You know, oh, this game for is sure. across the board. It's sweeping. I think it's still sitting at 96 on Metacritic. All the big outlets were giving it 10s. You know, almost getting an 8 out of 10 almost seemed an insult to it mm-hmm. when it first released, wasn't it? Um, and yeah, I think there's lots of people in the same position of you. There might have been things they didn't like about the game, but it was just too much to, to not give it a 10 kind of thing. Um, okay. And I guess... You know, thinking about your score, Josh, did you have a score in mind for it? Or um, I think with um, retrospection, I wouldn't rate it as high as uh, the kind of reviews were coming out would give it, giving it kind of tens and stuff. I'd be more on the eight side of things. Oh, um, okay. I think Tom has made some great points that it's possibly one of their like their best game. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think that is too far of an opinion. Uh, there are things about it that are definitely the signs that it is their best game. Um, but like Tom also said, it's not his favourite. And I don't think it's my favourite either. Mm-hmm. Um, I think previous titles have done things like more nuanced things in the game that elevate the game uh, above Elden Ring. Um, I think the kind of, when they limit themselves to kind of like a, uh, an A to B experience in the game, as opposed to an open world, uh, their game design is flawless. Um, but with Elden Ring's open world, I think it was not as flawless as the other games. Um, Interesting. But what about you, Miles? What do you think of the game? Yeah, so I've got quite a, a, I guess, a fractured take on this. So I'll set my stall out quite early. My favourite one is Bloodborne, because I think Bloodborne, just as an experience, is pretty unparalleled. And I can't even really explain why. It was something about the world and the combat system, the frenetic pace of it. Everything about Bloodborne completely absorbed me in. And I spent... 90 to 100 hours play the dlc and everything sekiro you were obviously there josh when i started it and sekiro blew me away it was a game i hadn't played for i think it was like two years after i played it or three years potentially after it came out um and it completely again pulled me in and absorbed me absolutely 
Dark Souls 1, I still think is one of the best designed interconnected worlds ever made. And I think that's why you can never rule out Dark Souls 1 as their best. But I also agree that Elden Ring feels like a massive elevation of their formula. And it's probably better than the vast majority of other open world games, simply by the fact that FromSoft have designed a world that is pretty incredible. So a part of me is like, for my first 90 or 85% of my time playing Elden Ring, it was a 10 out of 10 for me. And I almost never give 10 out of 10s. Even like some of my favorite games of all time, I wouldn't give a 10 out of 10. And then the last kind of 15, 10% of the game just started to sully my experience ever so slightly to the point where I'm thinking, you know, I wouldn't give it a nine. I'd probably give it like a 9.5. But there are parts of the game that I think, especially on its early release, were either overlooked or... I think a lot of the reviews hadn't necessarily played as substantially as maybe we have after it released when we had all the time in the world to play it, to experience or to fall into some of the the issues that do come up for me anyway. And so there's like an interesting discourse as, as the game has been out longer, I think people have started to catch on a bit more about some of those flaws. So it's quite an interesting place because when I first played it, it was 10 out of 10 without question. And only by the end did I start to think differently. Yeah, and I think you make a great point there. Um, a lot of the reviewers, uh, they spoke candidly about the time they had with the game. Um, I think it was less than a week yeah. to get a review out on Embargo. And this game is huge. Like, it is massive. Yeah. I mean, too big for the amount of time they were given to play it. Um, play it properly all the way through. Um, when I say play it, play it properly, I don't mean uh, the golden path. I mean, really you know, living in the world, doing everything that you can see uh, and experiencing all you have to experience with Elden Ring. Yeah, totally agree. There's like so much to this game that even if you just plow through the main bosses, the story, you miss out on so much of the experience because there's so much about this world which isn't on the main path. And so, like you said, I just, you think a week is a long time if you're just playing one game, but for this game, it isn't. It really would rush you to such a degree that you would miss out on the whole experience in a way. And I think that's why in some ways the main part of the game is probably some of its best. And it's only in some of the side parts where the issues kind of rear their heads a bit more. So maybe that factored in as well, but I guess it's fair to say between all three of us, we've got a pretty universally glowing opinion of the game, I guess, Tom, for you, you know, you said it's kind of um, up there for game of the year for you. Um, and for me and Josh, I guess there's a bit of caveat to it, but we, I know I certainly still consider it easily, if not the game of the year this year. Um, I will say I was one of the people that did this very, like, as it came out, I beat it before the first patch dropped and I put, oh my days. <laughs> I, I put 116 hours into the game. That's according to my PS5, my playtime is 116 hours. I beat it at level 154. Oof. Um, and I do think when I eventually go back to replay it, uh, because for law reasons, whatever part of me that usually is invested in the lore and so, uh, FromSoft games, mm-hmm. I was too caught up in just playing it. Yeah. Uh, so I am going to go back and do a lore pr- playthrough. And I think my score probably will change. I think it probably will dip. Yeah. Um, but I think I was so caught up in like, this is a game I've waited what? When did this game get announced? 2018? Something Maybe. like that. 2017, 2018, around that point. Um, I think it was like five years ago, the announcement. Trailer. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
essentially since they said, hey, we're making this game, I've been weighing it so passionately that I think I did. I have probably got caught up in the hype a little bit, which I try not to do. Yeah. Um, but because it sort of did become everything I wanted it to be, if it felt like it earned that. But I, I, I'm pretty sure when I go back to it, it will probably dip down to closer to a nine. Mm, for sure. But I guess also there's a point of this game was one that, you know, most people didn't actually think would ever really exist, that it was just a pipe dream. And like you said, the fact that we did get this game, you know, it was something that everyone wanted for so long. You know, there's a part of me that's like, it's all right to get caught up in the hype train and actually to look overlook at some of its flaws and stuff, because actually it's about the experience. And especially a FromSoft game, your first playthrough is you know, your discovery of the game. And I think it's all right to kind of overlook some issues because there's so much good in it that yeah, I th- sometimes hides it. I think when the game is good, the hype isn't as... You do, you, you'll, you'll tend not to ignore the hype because it is good, mm-hmm. I think. Um, if, if it had come out and, it, and the open world was sort of bland, the world would not be thinking about this game the way it it did and yeah. does yeah for sure no i agree so obviously that's our initial impressions so let's get into the the nitty-gritty stuff i've got a few ideas of kind of topics that we'll kind of cover over the course of it we'll see how we go we'll probably cover some of the end ones as part of the other ones anyway so you know i don't want this podcast to be seven and a half billion hours long so i'm sure we could talk about it for that long um so i wanted to start with our favorites and our most hated parts of the game. So mainly focusing on bosses or areas that you either thought were like the highlights, the best part of it, or were the absolute pits, the game, the parts where the game, you know, maybe fell short of the rest of its quality. So Tom, would you like to start? What were your highlights? What were your lows from, from Elden Ring in terms of bosses and areas? Um, so I've <laughs> I have got quite a quite a list of bosses that i loved there are absolutely weak bosses in this game that i think we probably will get into and i'm curious to sort of know which bosses you didn't like because i've talked to a friend about this game and we've got pretty different opinions on these bosses um one of my favorite bosses in this game and it's completely option is patches (laughs) um running patches (laughs) running into a random cave in um, Limgrave walking into a room that I don't even think has a fog gate and then hearing that voice and seeing the health bar pop up uh, got a very audible oh fuck yeah from me um, we, we I think people probably assumed Patches was going to be in the game he's in all of them in some form except maybe Sekiro um and yeah just 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 seeing patches again is always fun um and it's yeah like I say it's totally optional and it doesn't really mean anything but it's 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 just like a really great moment yeah completely agree I remember walking into that cave and just being like hang on a second and then you hear his voice and you're like, oh no. And then he drops down and he gets the shield and spear out and you're like, 
Oh, you bastard. And I love the fact that they stay true to his character as you beat him up and almost get him down to like low health. He then cowers out of it and he apologizes and he'll give you like a, an item or an emote or whatever um, for not killing him. I thought that was a really nice touch. And like you said, he's in such a random nondescript location, um, just stumbling onto him, such like a, a part of what makes this game special. So... Anybody else? Any other bosses? Any other areas that were uh, a favorite or a highlight? So I think um, it might sound like a basic answer, but I think Ling Limgrave was the uh, best area for me. Um, a second to that, maybe Kaled. Um, I think Limgrave felt like it had the most attention brought to it. Uh, there was so much little nooks and crannies that you could find, little caves, dungeons, and uh, even side quests and stuff like that. It just felt like even after hour 50, I was going back there and I was finding new things to do. Um, and I don't think any other area in the map had that kind of attention to detail. I mean, aesthetically, maybe it's not the best looking out of all the areas because there are some gorgeous areas that um, you come across in the late game. Uh, but I think as well, it was... It's the first area, so it's kind of like your first experience with the game and the first time that I felt lost in it. Um, and I easily spent maybe about 20 hours just playing through that area. Um, I think my most memorable fight was probably the Radan fight. Um, not because of its difficulty or because of the mechanics with boss, but mainly just the scene where you can summon all the NPCs and you all charge in to attack Radan. And then Patches kind of just runs away. <laughs> so he doesn't, <laughs> so he doesn't die. Um, very Patches. Um, but that was something that was so brand new to the Elden Ring, uh, to Elden Ring and to all the From Software games that it really put a smile on my face, just seeing that they still can come up with new things even if it's not necessarily uh, anything to do with the gameplay or anything like that, it was just a nice touch to just uh, add to the story and the lore of it all as well. Yeah, I, th I felt like Radan was going to come up in this conversation somewhere. I think he's in pretty much everyone's conversation. And like you said, Josh, it's such a, a spectacle, that fight, you know. And one of my favourite parts was there were NPCs I was summoning in to this giant festival of war that I hadn't even come across. I hadn't even met yet. I didn't even know who these characters were, but they were all summoning in. We were all part of this, like, one big battle against this massive general dude who's riding this tiny horse. And also, if you look at the backstory for how why he learns his gravitational magic, it's it's tragic, man. Um, uh, yeah, I was going to say, uh, because Bradan is probably my favourite non-optional boss. Uh, Leonard, his horse, is something that got a genuine belly laugh from me um, <laughs> the horse see, is the real mvp seeing it cut to the cutscene, and there's this tiny horse uh between this giant man's legs <laughs> i i when i when i first entered because he comes down the dune on the beach and i thought he was skiing on his knees <laughs> like in the <laughs> distance and and then yeah cutting close and going oh my god that's a tiny horse yeah uh it's a uh, it's a very good moment. I think Miyazaki's come out and said it's his favorite fight in the game too. Yes, he did. Um, 
yeah, the whole the battle gimmick, summoning in people to help fight this insane warrior. It it is great. It's um, like something out of a movie, isn't it? Like you're, you're it's, like you're assembling like your army to take on this massive heralded like warrior who's renowned mm. across the land. It's a great set piece, and the fight is challenging. I know they did a patch that nerfed it, and then they because it was accidental the nerf that they gave him, so they fixed it again. Um, the first few attempts on that fight, I didn't even realize they were summon signs. So I was just oh, trying. No. I was just trying to fight Radan solo for maybe an hour. I and imagine then, that was quite rough. Yeah, I managed to get him down to about a third once. Um, and then I was talking to a friend, and they said, "Yeah, just summon the people." And I did like a triple take <laughs> when I launched him. <laughs> what, I was the like, summon oh. signs? Yeah, and then, and then saw that there are what like six summon signs. I think there's um, even more than six because yeah. there's one up on the hill like behind them as well. And there's about, I think in mine, I must have summoned about 11 people. And what made me laugh was I talked to Josh about it after I did the fight. And Josh literally said, oh, the patches just peace out of your game. And I was like, what? I thought he got killed. because I, I didn't I... even notice that he ran away because the <laughs> fight's did, so thought... busy. Literally. And I'd but summoned that's, so many. That's, that, a, like... that's a really wonderful character moment. For Definitely, something you you might, might not even see. Yeah, I I found it so amusing because I'd summoned so many people that by the time Patches' his message that he'd been summoned turned up, he must have just pieced out, and then the message must have been so far after everyone else's entrance that then the game was like, oh, Patches is left or whatever. And I must have just thought he'd been killed by Radan. So, yeah, that was such a lovely, like you said, character moment of sticking true to him that he turns up for the festival and then just pieces out immediately and well spotted josh because i wouldn't have known otherwise yeah i mean he just he doesn't just disappear you see him run backwards but if you (laughs) if you don't charge fast enough and you're a little bit behind all your all the summons like you can just see him look him and turn and then just run off and then you're like at first i was like who's that running the wrong way and then he got a bit closer i was like of course it's patches Course. <laughs> legend um but yeah the radan fight is just such a spectacle and when he goes into phase two and he drops the comet he killed me the first two times he did that and i was furious but at the same time i couldn't stay mad because it was just so epic i was like fair play <laughs> the comet is insane it's crazy <laughs> like a giant screaming face and you don't even know what's happening the first time because like it goes silent and there's just nothing and you're like When's he going to turn to phase two? When's he going to transform? And then you just look up and you're like, oh, fuck. <laughs> and then Bastard. you're dead. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, patches were done so far. Any others? I know, Josh, you mentioned Limgrave is the area. Um, any other areas that were highlights or, you know, we can start going into things that we disliked? Well, what about you, Mars? What's, uh, what's a highlight for a boss for you? Um, obviously, Radan was a big one for me. Um, I found that actually my favorite boss of the whole game was the first one, was Margit. Um, because I, <laughs> it's quite funny actually. So I didn't get the message that, you know, exploring, leveling up, finding stuff was the point of this giant open world game where you can go anywhere and do anything. I went straight to Stormvale almost immediately, um, playing it like a typical Souls game. And I got to Margit and he wrecked my ass about 20 times. And I was like, this is fucking ludicrous. And then I went out, I found the jellyfish summon. 
And then I went back in and I head stomped my way through this encounter using the jellyfish. It is the best jellyfish in any video game ever. Um, and after like numerous tries, I finally beat him. And as he was doing his death animation, I rolled off the side of the cliff thinking I was going to fail because I would die before he did. And as I hit the bottom and it came up with you died, it pinged at the bottom that I'd got the item for killing him. And then I died literally the second afterwards. So it counted it. And my elation was so high that nothing ever matched that for the rest of the game. <laughs> it was fucking, it was just absolutely ridiculous. Because of the difficulty, I see. Just like how hard the you made it for yourself, really. Yeah. Uh, I, but you didn't see the whole southern area with the castle. No. Uh, <laughs> I went back to Weeping Peninsula after already getting to the Altus Plateau. <laughs> wow. Yeah. <laughs> I did not play this game properly. But I um, think I think that's that is eldering, isn't it? That's I think everyone has a different story on how they've approached everything, which mm -hmm. I think is why we we're talking about it now. Is that yeah, we've kind of got same opinions, sort of to a variant degree, but we've all had very different times with it. Absolutely. Um because I had a very different experience with Margit. Um, I, I ended up scouring all of Limgrave and all of Caleb before I even went to Stormvale. So I was like level 55 or 60 by the time I got to Stormvale and just breezed through it. Um, like I, I was overleveled all the way, I think, until Altus, because that, I think that's where the game kind of shifts. And it narrows its focus a little bit more. It becomes a lot less open, like you were saying earlier, Josh. Uh, Limgrave is definitely the most... There's stuff around every single corner in this entire, like, giant plane. Um, but yeah, I I beat Margaret first try. I beat um, the Stormvale boss himself. I can't remember his name. There's a lot of M's and G's. Either Godfrey or it's Godric. I <laughs> yeah. think it's Godfrey. Um, it's Godric. Godfrey is Horaloo. Oh yes, that's um, it. Yeah, because because Horaloo is another boss that I absolutely loved. Um, his move set is the most interesting move set I think a boss in a Souls game has. Uh, he he feels like he belongs in a fighting game. Like he grabs you, launches you into the midair, pile drives you into the ground. It's uh, it's super cool. And it's pretty epic, <laughs> and like, yeah, it's just it's just a cool fight. Um, but yeah, Limgrave and Caleb, I scoured, I scraped the map pretty hard. Um, so yeah, Stormvale for me was sort of a very different experience. But I think that's one of the best things about Elden Ring is that even though it is obviously the same game for everyone, it's not a live service thing where things are changing super frequently um but everyone seems to have such a unique playthrough and a lot of people will have missed stuff um i know that i missed the entire dung eater side quest line because i got to his little vault underneath uh Liernia and killed him because he was bright red um so I, I missed out on an entire sub subquest because of habits. I um, never even released him, even though I found him. <laughs> yeah, I just I just killed him completely out of habit from previous like Souls titles, where it's like, oh, that person's gonna try and kill me. I need them to die. Yeah. 
they've got to go there's no space in this world for them <laughs> yeah so i found it quite interesting because limgrave as i progressed through the game ended up being one of my least preferred areas um and the reason for that was that i found it quite a as a starting area i think it's amazing in terms of like you said how much there's in it and how condensed it is how many items there are to find that dragon fight immediately to the right as you kind of come out of the main part of the tutorial i think is absolutely incredible but i kind of found after being in limgrave for a while it just is very bland and i know that kind of makes sense for a starting area but as soon as i hit Kalid and i got to liania and then when i got to leandel i was like Jesus, this game is incredibly well like designed in terms of its graphical style and its artistic direction. And I feel like Limgrave is kind of a, there's a lot of hills, there's a lot of grass, Stormvale's awesome, but a lot of it's like sheep and bears and trees. It's, and I was like, it's very typical. Yeah, it's a very, gen- it's a very generic sort of starting fantasy zone. Yes. Um, and it. wandering into Caled and it turning into like a blood red nightmare plane is jarring when yeah. when, when <laughs> within like a meter you're in sunny green limgrave yeah i teleported into Kalid the first time so i found that um one of the tunnels or whatever the wherever the treasure chest was that transported me to it and i walked out of the cave after getting killed in it like a dozen times because obviously the enemies in there are super over leveled for what i was and I immediately walked out and I saw this beach of like red and purple and darkness and these oozing like Cthulhu creatures. And I was like, is this just Bloodborne? Have they just put like an entire Bloodborne section in this game? Because I'm not going here. And I immediately teleported back into Limgrave. Um, And I think that introduction for Caleb for me was so powerful because I was like, fuck, this place looks intimidating. I can tell I'm not ready for this place just from how it looks already. And that was one of the biggest things that sold me on um, on Caleb, sorry is just how intimidating it was. And I was like, if you can make me walk out of a cave and look at an area and go, nope, not ready for that yet, without even doing anything gameplay-wise, I think that's incredible um, artistic work. Um, but my other, I guess, favourite was Leyendel. When I walked into the city for the first time and you see this gleaming tower, the uh, trees behind it, there's this dragon that's like frozen in place in stone. You know, it's like collapsed half of the city, but there's all these golden guards walking around and these weird creatures kind of playing trumpets and firing spells at you. It really blew me away. And Leyendel as a, as a dungeon, as a level to complete is so layered. It's so dense and it's so full of depth. I was just blown away by it. And that was probably the highest point of the game for me was actually completing Leyendel. I think that probably was my favorite area of the game aside from Caled. Um, yeah, it just it wowed me completely. Lyondell feels like what they wanted Anna Londo to be. Yes, it does, um, doesn't it? They do it in Dark Souls 3 as well. I can't remember the city, but there's a city that's very Anna Londo. Anna Londo's in DS3 as well. There's yes. another city that sort of looks like Bloodborne, sort of looks like Anna Londo, and they want it to be like, a, oh, wow, look at that. This Lyondell feels like sort of the promise of what everyone talks about Anna Londo is. Yeah. Um, because I, I got into Lyondell early because there's a teleport point on the end of a bridge, I think, somewhere, and you get into a part of Lyondell early. You can't get into anywhere else, it's sort of blocked off. It's the divine bridge, I think it takes you to yeah. exactly the same. Yeah, and you look out and you're like, oh wow, this is later. 
Um, yeah. Like this is <laughs> yeah. so this is so far away from green hills and trees. Um, and I looked at it, I thought, there's no way that we're gonna go through that. And then 70 hours into the game, by the time I was there, I was like, oh no, they they just did it. Like <laughs> this is this is a huge city and it feels grand and it feels like it is the capital yeah. of of this place, of yeah. the lands between. It feels amazing, doesn't it? And it's so like they're getting that sneak peek early on of ah, oh, this might be what's in store later on. It's kind of a real motivator to play through and see they what are, that city is. They are very good at doing that. There's a set of I can't really think of what to call them, but they're gates that teleport you to sort of mini bosses. I think it's mm-hmm. in um, it's not Lyondell. It's the area above Lyondell, and I've completely forgotten what the name the is. The Altus Plateau. No, it's where Renala, um, Renala is. Oh, Magic Leonia. School. And Rayleigh um, Yes. Uh, there is an area there which has like, I think, three different gates that will take you to mini bosses and you need an item to get through them. And it gets you an early look at Faramazula. Um, oh, which yeah. I, Big tornado um, place. <laughs> yeah, which is... I looked at it and went, this is this is the end of the game. This is this has got to be like an end game zone because this looks insane. Yeah. Um, and it gets yeah, it gets you looks at that, it gets you looks at um Siofra from a different plot part of it. Mm-hmm. Um they're very from software very good at giving you a little taste of their world before you're meant to get there. Yeah. Um like and it teases. makes yeah, and it the feeling I got was like, how, how, how is this a place in this game? Because it looks so beyond what, where I am currently. Mm-hmm. Um, but it all feels logical. Every single place in the game feels like it belongs. Definitely. Uh, going, going into that huge elevator down into Siofra, um, and looking up and it looks like, stars and the night sky but it's just the inside of the world um that that area is my favorite area in the game just because of how totally unexpected it was to like come out of this elevator look up and see what i assumed must be space um it's it like it was a jaw drop and it was like a literal jaw drop moment of oh wow like this is so different i love it yeah that's a real spectacular moment when i found it through limgrave and i took the elevator down it was taking forever and i was like oh it's probably just gonna be a boss at the bottom and you walk out you go through past the ants or whatever and you walk out of this like aqueduct cave area and like you said you look up and you see the sky and it looks like space and it's it's just stunning it's absolutely beautiful and you're like this is underneath the world above. Like this makes no sense how it's here, but it also does. And then you also discover like the law behind it, why it's there, why it looks like that. And you're like, this is incredible. It was a real spectacular moment. I don't remember I telling you, you know, you said about the map and you're like, oh yes. yeah, the, map, <laughs> the map's fairly big. Like it's not, it's not, you know, undoable though. Like I, I could explore this. I was like, it's not opened up. It's like, no, I'm pretty sure it has. <laughs> I can see the whole thing. I yeah. can see the edges. The map is done. And I was like, just you wait. Yeah. And... For context, I'd only done two maps of Limgrave when I said this. Wow. <laughs> it is. Yeah. They knew exactly what they were doing when they slowly pull out 
the map after yeah. each, each little yeah. segment of it you find uh yeah, yeah. I, I i i looked and went this is pretty big and then you get to Altus and it's like oh wait no my god there's so much more um it seemed impossible that it could keep getting bigger because the game's massive yeah <laughs> especially when you factor in the under the under levels yeah you know, the aqueducts got... the well um faramazula is not even on the map really like there's so many areas that aren't even recorded on the map itself and the map yeah. itself is still bloody huge yeah, when when I got teleported to the area where you see um, Lion Delta for the first time, it pulls the map out, but obviously it doesn't fill in the map. Mm-hmm. So it's like, oh my god, th- this is very far away. <laughs> yeah, um, there's still and it, more, and it kept happening right up until the end. Like they're constantly throwing new places at you, and while, like I said earlier, the further you get on, the more narrow I think its design gets. The more it closes in and becomes a bit more linear. There's a Definitely. lot. There's a lot less to discover post Limgrave, I think. Yeah. And um, as soon as you hit Altus, it feels like the game's like, okay, we're going to change the pace up a little bit because this game is absolutely huge. But we need to drive you towards the end. Yeah, we need to um, finish the story here because it, it goes and goes. Um, yeah, it's just incredible how much they fit into this without any of it feeling like filler like everywhere feels deserved and belongs it's 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 a testament to the way from soft games are designed because like you said earlier i still think dark souls one probably has the best actual world design based on the way it feeds into itself and everything sort of built around um firelink shrine um it's it's just like their their evolution of design from 2011, but oh, not even 2011 because Demon Souls. Um, and I, <laughs> I, obviously, they made games before Demon Souls, but I think I think when people talk about FromSoft now, they sort of start from Demon Souls up. Like no one talks about Kingsfield because those are kind of niche. Um, but yeah, going going because I, I i i never played demon souls when it came out but i got dark souls when it came out because there was a lot of coverage on it so going from that and playing every game since and just seeing the evolution of these games and the way the team has sort of ne- like they've landed on a design philosophy that really really works and it the games are pretty similar in design they do add new features and stuff, but they're refining it as they go. And it's, it's, it excites me for what they do next. And I'm, I'm equally as cautious as I am optimistic about the future of FromSoft, because like I said earlier, this feels like their, their magnum opus, this feels like their culmination. And I can't imagine where they go from here. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like it feels like that for every release they do though. It yeah. is. And like, how right. could it get better than this? And then, and then somehow they do. Yeah, um, <laughs> they always find a way. But it's it's so well intentioned the kind of game design that they do about the whole spoon feeding you the map. Like it doesn't feel overwhelming. There's a healthy amount of um, points of grace. So like fast travel, if you need to go back, is so easy. Like you're never walking too far away. So it never feels like there's too much to do all mm-hmm. at once. And that just yeah for the. 
for Elden Ring to be that big and still feel very concise and very and not very um, you know like filler as Tom said like it's incredible mm-hmm. yeah it's pretty wonderful having played all the games and watched the evolution as it's gone game by game but I guess I was interested because I've looked at some of the discourse about this okay and since the game's release like I said initially the reaction was almost universal 10 out of 10 perfect game game of the generation it's got no flaws etc and interestingly in the last couple of months I've seen more and more of the discourse turn to actually this is a masterpiece but it's very flawed in a lot of ways and one of the things I wanted to talk about is that for me when I got to mountaintops of the giants I was a bit fucking sick of doing the side content because it felt like mountaintops of giants feels like a new aesthetic but an area filled with stuff we've already seen and done. So the enemies reappear from Caled, the cave systems and dungeons that I completed, of which I did only a handful, I started to realize none of the rewards mattered to me anymore. And I'm going to get to that when we come to the, the part about Ashen, Ash of Wars and Ashen Summons and all that stuff. So the rewards started to feel less important to me. They felt a lot more sparsed out considering the size of the area. And I just felt like it wasn't, there was a massive jump from when I was in Leyendale, I felt hugely overleveled. And bear in mind, I, I did do a lot of exploring, but I hightailed it through a lot of the story throughout my playthrough as well. I felt really overleveled. And then I got to Mountaintops of Giants and suddenly I was getting thwacked like one and two hits by everything. And I was like, that's weird. Um, and it just felt like the design from Mountaintops of Giants, the Halo tree I loved the look of, didn't enjoy playing it as much. Um, and then Faramazula, again the spectacle areas they looked amazing but I felt like by that point all the best parts of the game had been done and it felt like it was kind of recycling stuff in order to kind of almost pad out the ending which I don't understand why and for me I could have dropped mountaintops of giants and potentially I would have liked to have seen Faramazula but just had it as like a big boss battle instead of like a whole area to explore and I think I would have been happier with that so I guess for you guys what did you think about that do you feel like there is some padding in here do you feel like there is repetition that bothered you or do you feel like actually they were quite worthy additions I guess and that's to both of you I feel like I'm in um a similar point from you Miles um purely because uh going through the these types of games I I do go basically from left to right just looking at everything I can see and find uh going through so much of it so by the time I got to like Faramazula, I was probably about 90 hours in. And uh, I think I played like just over 100 hours in general. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, yeah, like it, it, at that point, it felt like I was just like, I'm playing to the end now. I just want to get to the get to the end of the story and just enjoy my time. I think I've enjoyed my time with the game. Um, I don't necessarily feel like it was padding as such I think um maybe there's a little bit too much to do uh for me personally because I think um dungeons did you I mean at first dungeons were great and the bosses in uh the dungeons are awesome but then you start seeing a pattern of them and they do become samey and uh I never thought that the armors and the weapons and all that are all part of the game to be 
necessary like you're not doing the dungeons just for something at the end necessarily it is to just experience it and fight the boss and achieve and like tick it off the list um uh but because i think weapons and armors i kind of locked that in very early on um i didn't change much of my loadout after that um and i don't think it's it was necessarily an optimal way but it was what i wanted to carry on through Mm -hmm. um so yeah so i I think um oh man (laughs) (laughs) mine's like (laughs) mine blank yeah i'm trying to go back to what i was trying to say sorry ross listening to this (laughs) um (laughs) uh yeah i think by the end last few bosses i was just trying to get to the end of it really um from like you said, the mountain tops uh, onwards. I was just trying to finish it, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. What about you, Tom? Because I know obviously this is kind of the the part of the game where me and Josh kind of had a bit of a similar feel. And Josh had told me about how he felt for this part of the game without spoiling it for me because I was kind of catching up. And I didn't think I was going to get that, but then I did. So I wondered for you you know, given how much you've loved this game from your playthrough, if you felt the same or if you actually feel a bit differently about these areas? Um, not entirely differently. I don't think I don't think it's filler. Um because like I've said, it feels like once you hit um the mountaintops and you you're doing like sort of towards the end of the game, it does it feels like there's a lot less side content hidden around these maps. Um like um, Faramazula is pretty sort of you start here, go here. There's not really anything to do in between apart from um, that optional dragon boss that's mm-hmm. down there. Um, and like Josh said, I, I locked into my uh, my weapon set at least uh, very early uh, to, the, to the point where I only used two weapons in the entire game. I, I used that starting katana up until I got Melania's katana and then I dual wielded them. Um, my build was very dex based, um, but I got enough levels that I ended up respecking. So if I do a new game plus, I can mm-hmm. uh, try some of those weapons because I feel like a lot of the early game weapons you get and boss weapons have really, really high stat requirements yeah um and the game does give you a decent amount of respec items it kind of feels like it should just cost um runes as opposed to costing an item Mm -hmm. i think that sort of narrows the ability to experiment um because like renala's spells cost you need like 70 in to use any of them crazy aren't they um so i'm i'm very set in my ways when i play a game i don't really experiment um so the starting katana worked for me and i really liked its um weapon art the like quick unsheath that it does it's really quick and it did a decent amount of damage um i didn't really feel a need to experiment so like just said the rewards for the the side little dungeons and caves weren't the item it was the boss fight and some of those were really good but you definitely see later in a lot of repeated things i put down like those burial watchdogs oh, you see you dogs. see a lot of 
I don't think they're a bad fight. They just really creep me out in the way they move. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. But then you get to one where I think there's a fight where there's three of them at mm-hmm. some point. Um, yeah. And it's it's a lot. Um, same with those crystal guys. Like you'd find at the end of bosses, because I was using a katana, um, it's a lot harder to deal immediate damage to them. So I had to actually, I did use another weapon, but only for those I ended up using like a hammer because it did a lot higher damage because of the damage type. It wasn't a uh, slash damage, it was like, impact damage. Um, so the game kind not punishes you, but it feels like the game has bosses where this is sort of the optimal way you should play it. You should, mm-hmm. like this weapon will work best. You'll be able to do it normally but um you'll have a way easier time like so i i didn't end up getting those ball bearing items um that that give you the um upgrade materials oh yeah yeah. until much later in the game because i was having a hard time killing those just uh the crystal guys um because they're the only ones that drop them and i didn't realize because i hadn't killed any for a lot it was probably 70 hours until i killed my first one of those and then i got like the third or fourth ball bearing and i was like oh i can get these like i can just get these i don't have to farm for these yeah Um, i can just buy them now yeah and the game also has a really pretty big problem i think they've patched it since but initially it had a very weird drop rate on the regular stones um you got a lot of this. I think they're somber stones for the boss weapons. You get a ton of those. Um, but getting the upgrade material for like just every normal weapon was a, a real challenge. Like you, you find, I think his name's Roger, the guy in the in Stormvale, um, I think he is, isn't he? Uh, he, is he in Stormvale or is he in the magic school? Um, yeah, he might. I think it is Stonevale. Um, he gives you a weapon that's plus seven, and at that point in the game, like I don't even think it's possible to get your weapon that high, and he just hands it to you. Um, there's there's an issue with progression, but I'm kind of getting off topic. Um, yeah, uh, in terms of padding and stuff, it definitely feels like those little side dungeons they you you end up seeing a lot of the same layouts they experiment with it a little bit later um i can't remember which one it is but i think it's where you fight one of the uh, assassin people i can't oh, yeah. remember their name and you have to like stand on these guillotines to get up into a hallway yeah yeah um they do mess with the expected layout of those a little bit and there's I think the further you go, the more hidden walls there are as well in these dungeons, um, which is a nightmare in itself. The first time I found a hidden wall, the the horrible pang of how many of these have I missed. <laughs> yeah, there's nine more of them behind me. Somewhere. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's a part in the game to get the frenzied flame ending, which is the one I ended up getting. Um, you have to hit like a secret area that's in a secret area it's in a secret area yeah it's ludicrous um and just the overwhelming thought of oh man there's probably like a ton of stuff that i haven't seen but i'm 70 80 90 hours into the game um but yeah padding 
I don't think padding's the right term, but it's a lot of <sighs> fluff, I <Yeah>. suppose. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, it's there for the people that want it, and I was one of yeah. the people that just wanted to explore everything, so that's probably informing a bit of why I don't think it's so much padding. Okay. Um, but yeah, you see a lot of the same enemies. You see a lot of the um, ulcerated tree spirit or the crystallians or the burial watchdogs. Um, but I think that had to happen for there to be as much in this game. If they, like, there was no way they could be a unique boss everywhere. Yeah, that that, that would be an incredible. Un- this game would never have come out, <laughs> or would have been half the size. I mean, um, George R. R. Martin was working on it, so we'd be used to it not releasing <laughs> ever. Yeah. So you said um, that you didn't really change your skills or anything like that too much. Mm-hmm. You had a bit of a de- dexterity build. Um, how is that for you for the end game bosses? Uh, in terms of how beating them was, yeah. Uh, Elden Beast can fucking do one. <laughs> oh, okay, I'm I'm leaving Elden Beast for a later point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll get, get we'll get on to that. Fuck Elden Beast. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> because I think by the time we were talking about for me and Miles on the dip of the game was that point uh, the mountain tops where I felt mm. like how I had built my character wasn't how the game wanted. It was it was mind. wrong. Yeah, it felt like oh I I should be using like. I should have some ranged ability or something. Exactly. Like yeah. I should be more, I should, I should be using more magic based stuff that mm-hmm. will get me through this. And it throws uh, a was... lot of that too. Like you're getting miracles and sorceries and stuff. Yeah. Constantly. But, so, <laughs> so as a fan of Bloodborne, that was my first game, mm-hmm. like wanting to play in a style where it is running up and attacking as quick as possible and dodging like by by the late game bosses that felt like the worst thing to do yeah it felt it, it, unviable it, it felt like you were being penalized for playing how you wanted to play yeah a little bit but i i think that's why they're pretty heavy with the respec item but designing bosses in a game this massive and this open and this sort of free form and how you want to play it I think it is probably an insane challenge to try and design bosses that are suitable for all builds. Yeah, that's fair. But the end of the game definitely felt like it was like you should have at least some magic right now. Like yeah, you you're gonna have, have a you're gonna have a spell time. It'd be like when Blizzard were like, "You guys don't have spells oh. yet." <laughs> <laughs> but um, I just want to mention one thing about the dungeons because the bosses was the next thing I was going to kind of bring up, but. The kind of the the moment I stopped doing dungeons was I did one in I went back to Leyendale after I got to Mountaintops of Giants and I went into the depths to do the optional uh, subterranean hunting grounds or whatever it's called and there is a dungeon in there where when you get to the end of it you drop down and you think oh I'm back at the beginning and you're not you're now on the second level but yeah. it was an identical layout and then it did it a third time and I was like this is fucking lazy this isn't fun this is the same layout three times. And then I got to the boss and it was another repeat boss. And I was like, I'm done with this now. I don't want the rewards. I don't care. I'm not I, f- I felt very different about that. I know exactly what dungeon you're talking about. And <laughs> yeah. I love that. Okay, it, fair it, enough. It felt like, it felt like, let's design a dungeon where we just fuck with the player. It probably let's, did troll me the first let, time. I was let's, like, wait a minute, what? Let's, let's make them really confused and really like just not understand what the hell is going on. And I kind of loved it. But I totally understand why that would 
and I guess for a game this big, why not have fun with it a little bit yeah. at some yeah. points of it? And I think if it had been earlier in the game, when I hadn't already done so many dungeons, because they've all got the same aesthetic, they all look very yeah. similar. It's like the Chalice dungeon from Bloodborne, but without the procedural uh, element. And I think if I'd have had it earlier, I would have been all right with it. But it was the fact that I was walking through the same hallways three yeah. times lapsed on top of each other when I've already done those hallways a hundred times to do other dungeons and then i saw the boss and i was like i fought this boss before why am i doing this again and i got the reward which was like an item i didn't need anymore and i was like i don't need to do dungeons i'm done yeah. with them now um and yeah so that was the last thing i wanted to just add on the dungeons part um but i guess in terms of bosses you guys have started touching on this in terms of a big problem that came up for me was that the last 10 percent of the game is sullied because the boss battles while awesome spectacles i enjoyed Looking at them, I enjoyed being like a participant for the first time, seeing the boss, how they played their moveset. But I actually started to really hate fighting them. And I guess for context, I found the Bloodhound Fang really early on in my playthrough. Um, I upgraded it to plus nine until the point that I could get it to the final upgrade from wherever you need to go to get it. I think it's in um, Mountaintops. And I had a bleed build, which as it turned out was really, really matter in the game. You know, if you have a bleed build, you pretty much whack your way through everything. Yeah. And when I got to that point, I had exactly what you guys described where it felt like the game started to go, oh, for 80% of your playthrough, you've been playing the game completely right. You know, you've been screwing over bosses. I was one-timing a lot of them and I was doing really well. And then I suddenly get to these bosses and I'm like, I can't even get a hit in because I'm using a greatsword, which means it takes too long to throw a hit by the time they're already in the next combo. And this has become a real part of the discourse is that the bosses at the end of Elden Ring move away from From Software's, I guess, allegiance to being fair because mm. they don't have stamina bars. They can keep throwing combos for 10, 12, 13 attacks. Melania is the biggest example of this with the waterfall dance. But I found it with other bosses and Elden Beast fucked me off no end because i spent <laughs> most of my time running after the fucking prick mm -hmm. not actually fighting him and then he'd do that orb attack which i couldn't dodge because i didn't have the bloodhound step or whatever it was oh my god the orb and was, yeah and i was like there are now unblockable <laughs> moves which you mean you mean that little orb that shoots a shit ton yes. of little spells out of it that one while he still throws other moves at you at the same time and i was like this is bullshit so there's now unblockable elden, moves elden beast took me a good four hours oh, of just trying and trying and trying. Yeah. That little fucking ball. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's what we're taking away from Elden Ring. The ball of light is a piece of shit. That is all it's awful. It feels really unfair and cheap in a yep. way that I don't think any other souls type boss has ever felt. Yeah. Um, totally agree. I, I mentioned this to you the other day um, about the final boss in Sekiro. I never actually beat the final boss in Sekiro, mm -hmm. but that fight is fair. It's just hard. Yeah. Elden Beast spams like four different moves at the same time, it feels like. Yeah. That little ball seems to move faster than you can move. And like it's, it seems unavoidable in a way that. Even, even in Elden Ring, I don't think there are many bosses that feel as... <sighs> is cheap the right word? I I'm think gonna, it is. I'm going to go I with cheap. El yeah. Elden Beast feels cheap. Um, the fight before Elden Beast with Radagon is a good fight, I think. Yeah. I don't think it's particularly hard. And I was absolutely lost as to why 
Radagon was um, Marika. Yeah. Because because I missed I missed so much lore, and I'm assuming we're going to get into lore stuff later. Yeah, we I missed <laughs> I missed so much lore. I wasn't really sure what the Elden Ring even was. <laughs> um, <laughs> they say it a lot. They say like you hear the word Elden Ring and runes and a lot, but I didn't really know what it was. But Radagon as a fight was a good fight. It felt fair. It felt challenging for the first few times you do it and then radagon becomes a joke and you're f- bashing your head against elden beast who is just spamming moves and you're just running around after him the whole time yeah it's miserable it's i it's the most frustrated i think i've ever been with a souls game yeah and i guess or Soulsborn, whatever you want to call them Definitely. And the thing that I found was they started to have unblockable moves. So Moog, the blood, whatever his name was, he can he does a move about halfway through the fight that you cannot avoid no matter where you go or how far you run. Uh, they start to have combo chains that oh sorry. There is a way to avoid Moog's nah, blood shit. Is there? There are two items that you can get. I'm not ashamed to say I I fucking couldn't figure Moog out. So I looked up what I fit it felt like I was doing it wrong. And I, I hit one of those hurdles where I really want to beat him because I'm pretty sure there's probably something in that weird egg behind him with the child's hand coming out of it. And there isn't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but I assumed that would take me somewhere. Um, but yeah, uh, there are two items you can get. In the sewers under Landell, there is another shackle item. Oh, yes. Okay. That will work on him. And in Altus Plateau, there is one of those random um, finger invaders, like the NPC ones, mm-hmm. that just drops. They drop one of the uh, things to put in the flask. I okay. can't remember what that flask is called, but you like the one where you mix the and physics match. one. That's the one. They drop an item that is expressly used just for the Moog fight. Uh, and okay. it neg- and it negates that you're talking about that move they do where they sort of like count down and then unleash a big blood when he shouts Nahail or Nahil or yes. whatever he shouts like three yeah. times and it I was count- like it counters that and it stops that nearly killing you because like you I was like ch- I was out of Estus not Estus but you know yeah uh, that's the term um their souls their Estus their bonfires forever um yeah I was like out of flasks after that because i it felt like you had to chug like four to, to to get the health back that that takes so i I like hit my head against the wall and i couldn't i couldn't figure out what i was doing wrong and yet it just turns out there's an item in the world that you can just find accidentally oh, and, and, just... Just, and but if you don't read the description of that item yeah it's very hard to tell what use it has. Um, <laughs> I don't even think I had it. Yeah. And I think in the end, I just out DPS'd him. So when he started mm-hmm. to do that attack, I used Mimic Tear and I just wailed on him and I outbled him. Mm-hmm. But the, so there was the unblockable attacks. There was the combo chains that became ridiculous. And then they would move from one combo chain to the next combo chain in 0.1 seconds. Mm-hmm. So by the time I was done dodging and running away, I had no stamina left to hit them. So they'd start hitting me again. And then there were the wind-up moves where the wind-up is so small for the AoE attack that if you are mid-animation or you're too close to them, when they decide to start doing it, there didn't feel like there was a feasible way to make distance or to counter it. 
And I guess, I don't know if you found this, Josh, as well, but I really found that it started to grate on me with not just Elden Beast, but the other boss battles in the last 20% in particular, where I felt like I was out of stamina for pretty much all of the fight. And it was like a screw you, you're a melee build. You should have picked your build differently. I don't know if you felt the same, Josh. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I think I did. Um, the only way around that for me was to just out-level them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I would farm for a little bit. Uh, and I'm, that's not to say I enjoyed it less because I was farming. Um, it made it sure that I could play the way that I wanted to play. Um, I used that mar- that farming spot that everyone was talking about, the um, the alien heads. I can't remember their names. Yeah. Albanax? 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 Yeah. You're talking about that area where there's like 12 of them just sat down? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. I, I, yeah, I spent a few hours in there <laughs> just to level <laughs> so, up a little so bit. So did I. <laughs> um, but no, you're, you're definitely right. I think another thing that Elden Ring did differently than the other games uh, was the dodge mechanic and kind of the iframes within that mm-hmm. um, at first it wasn't too welcome because I am a bit of a spam dodger um, when I'm in trouble and that normally gets you out of trouble but you have to be more specific um, which yeah it was a bit of a steep learning curve you know with the uh, Margit the first boss kind of wailing on you with the, his combos almost seeming endless at, at the start um but yeah i definitely know what you mean about the you know the the combo chains and stuff like that like it it did start feeling like i just had to out level them i just had to have more health i just had to do more damage than them as opposed to it coming down to your ability to to fight them in a fair fight yeah I felt exactly the same. I leveled my strength and I leveled my endurance to such a high level. I had Radan's armor on. I had a great sword, a great shield with a barricade shield. And I felt like I had to stick with that build now because I couldn't, like, even though I could respec, I only understood my build. And that's probably a fault on my part. But in other Souls games, I never thought about my build. I just always leveled up and I got the weapons I wanted and I used them and I could always overcome anything in the game, even if it was more arduous because of the route I'd chosen. But in this game, by the time I got to the end, I felt like the game was actively punishing me and giving me a shit time because I was spending more of my time either running around for that one opportunity to hit them and then run away from their 24 hit combo string that's about to start. Or I would then just go fuck it and I'd just mimic tier and out DPS them. And I just charge in, I get my poise as high as I could. And I just keep hitting them and just hope that they didn't kill me before I killed them. And weirdly that worked every time I reached that point. I did that with each boss that made me feel that way. And I beat them first time from just out DPSing them. And it just felt so unrewarding. I was like, I kind of feel glad I've beaten them, but it was my fourth try. And I only did that tactic because I knew my usual way of playing just wouldn't work without extensive time and effort. Um, and that just felt a bit, I guess, disappointing or kind of unrewarding, I guess. But yeah, it just kind of felt like the game was kind of railroading you into playing a specific way for certain fights. And that just felt a bit not very cool compared to the previous games, which have always kind of given you the option. There's always the the kind of gimmick fights where you have to do a certain thing to kill a certain boss in a certain way. They're fine. I don't mind those. But you know, an open fight against like Horolo or Radagon, who I actually really liked. I would have liked Radagon as the final boss, but just with like three phases instead. But it just felt like from software where 
a bit kind of screwed of thinking, oh, people might get here really overleveled. How can we make them super fucking hard for people who want that hard challenge? And they kind of drifted away from the design philosophy that made all of their previous boss fights so good. Like Sekiro is a hard game, but every boss fight felt so rewarding when I beat it because I knew I had learned to do it. And it wasn't like that I was cheated when I was killed. I knew I'd just done it because I'd screwed up. I'd read something wrong. I'd mistimed it. I didn't do a dodge right. I didn't read the combo. This one just felt like they keep hitting me until I run out of stamina and then I die. Yeah, and that's the fairest fights that I had was in Sekiro. Um, and that was the, that Sekiro's the previous game that they dropped for Elden Ring. So I was hoping that that kind of combat was going to make a second appearance in this game, you know, take what, from what they've learned uh, on it kind of being more very, it's very specific deflection, like almost like a dance that you do with every fight in Sekiro. Um, and then it kind of felt like it took a step backwards and kind of revolted, uh, like returned to just kind of the the normal means to take on the bosses, which ended up not being, not, like you said, near the end, just unfair, felt, feeling unfair. Definitely. And meanwhile, I was watching TikToks of people as a mage build, like throwing one spell down and just eviscerating the boss. And I was like, I'm doing this wrong. Like, oh, I'm not man. even... <laughs> that big laser yeah literally like they mm-hmm. chug a couple flasks they throw this laser out and if they got and a mimic one shot in, a boss yeah and they get their mimic tier in and the mimic tier would do it as well and it would kill it like in two mm-hmm. seconds and i was like that is crazy it felt like this game was sort of built you know the previous games have had magic but it was much harder to play a build and succeed yeah. in like throughout the whole game and it felt like in elden ring they were like right we want to get magic right and they kind of swung completely the other way of making yeah, magic they super went, OP. They went very hard because, yeah, like you said, magic ranged fighting in any Souls game up to this point has never felt very viable as mm-hmm. a as a man. It's always felt like a secondary weapon type thing. This game, there is so much magic and magic is actually really useful. Same as weapon arts. Weapon arts in DS3, I don't think I ever used. They didn't mm-hmm. feel useful enough. In this, there's so many options in terms of like moves that will use your S- is SP, FP? FP, that's the one. Yeah. Um, and they're really genuinely useful. But you're, like you said, yeah, this feels like they've swung too hard in the other direction. It's like, this is, this is really good. Use this, please. Yeah. Um, and I'll, I'll go out and say it. Elden Beast is my least favorite final boss in one of these games. But oh, I, yeah. By far. Totally agree. Like it's totally not even agree. it's not even close. Even Nishandra in DS2 is better. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I, I genuinely think Nishandra in DS2 is a decent fight. It's, it's not terrible, it's... it's not good, it's fine. It was the weakest until now. Yes, I totally agree. They've somehow made Nishandra look like a good fight for the end of mm-hmm. a game. And yeah, completely agree with Nishandra you. Nishandra was a fine fight, but it was like anti it felt anticlimactic. Elden Beast feels cheap. Elden yeah. Beast feels unfair and like you said the the consistency in souls type games where enemies don't have stamina it is the further you get the more noticeable that becomes strings get longer melania's uh dance like the heart the dance thing move that she does is a nightmare to deal with and she can just pop them out whenever Mm -hmm. um but i feel i will i will bring up melania because we haven't yet um, and I feel like Melania is 
probably one of the hardest FromSoft fight uh, bosses ever. Is that is that a is that a universal opinion amongst us? Yeah, I'll I let think you go first, Josh. I think that's the coldest take on this podcast. Uh, is that Melania is the hardest fight for sure? So Without I'm going to throw something out in terms of that. I don't think she's the hardest fight. I think she's the one that cheats the most because Waterfall Dance is complete RNG as to when she throws it out. There is no, like, usually with moves like that in a game, if you want to make it satisfying and have, like, a really strong move for a boss, it should either have a really good tell or it should come at the end of a combo that you can read so that you can know that it's coming to prepare. She doesn't do that. She could throw it out at any point in the fight whenever she wants to, and some people never even see it because it's complete RNG. Her regular combo chains are ridiculous as it is, so you're constantly under pressure and out of stamina, which means even when you see it happen, you don't have much time to react. And then you have the bleeding health thing, where even if I have barricade shield on and I'm blocking every one of her attacks, she is leeching health back off me again. And that, for me, was just bullshit. You can give a boss one of those things, or even two of them, but to have so many mechanics that she has that screw you over for me, made it feel like it wasn't a hard fight. It was an exhausting fight of patience and willpower. And I just mimicked and out DPS her again because I couldn't be bothered. So I just slammed into her with my mimic tier and that was it. She throws a lot at you. And yeah, Waterfall Dance uh, is insane. <laughs> it's an insane move. Um... I think you're saying it's the hardest fight in different words, Miles. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I just don't think, like, if you... Because <laughs> Waterfall Dance on its own is manageable, but mm. the fact that she can bleed your, her health back and mm-hmm. so easily as well, and obviously there was a, a glitch which affected me where she was hitting thin air and getting her health back. Oh, my God. Yeah, I, I was getting furious, and I was like, this fight's not hard because I could deal with a lot of her chains. It's the fact of how she's designed makes it impossible for me to do anything because I was either blocking so much I'd run out of stamina or I was dodging so much I was out of stamina. Then it was waterfall dance, so I'd run around to avoid it. Then it was this happening, so I'd have to avoid that. And then I didn't have any stamina to attack her Mm. or she'd jump into another chain and hit me when she decided to cancel her move mid-combo and I was like, wicked, didn't know you could do that, that's cool. And I was like, this doesn't feel like a fair fight. And for me, difficulty is about if I'm one-on-one with someone, it should be a fair fight. And if they do have a crazy, ridiculous move or they can leech health off of me, I should have something that I can use to retaliate with. And my answer to that was, fuck it, I'll get my Mimic tear in here. We'll both have two great swords dual wielded and we'll just wail on her with a bleed build until she's dead. That was my solution to this problem. And I thought that's, I'm having to cheese the game using all the systems that I can instead of actually having a good one-to-one fight with a boss. So for me, she doesn't feel difficult. She feels cheap and unfair and like she is cheating the game, not a difficult fight. But I can see why. Like, it, I am saying difficulty. I just don't think it's the right kind of difficulty, if that makes sense. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I think, yeah, I know what you mean. Um, but I think the one saving grace is that it is a side boss. It's not the like the main last boss, because if it was, then I think a lot more people will be having trouble with it i think it's the people that want to get the 100 percent, the kind of completionists that visit this boss then experience how difficult she really is 
And again, you know, the spectacle of her as a boss fight is awesome. I love the waterfall dance as an idea, as a move. I just feel like it just needs balancing with that fight. But I love her character and I love the the way it's set and the way it's done. I just wish the fight itself wasn't so mindless, like running around managing stamina instead of actually fighting. Uh, this is a sentiment I've heard elsewhere. This is not me coming up with an original thought. Okay. Uh, but it's a thought I agree with. She feels like the boss at the end of a DLC. She feels like a menace. Um, oh, yeah, menace. She, she feels like the end game DLC boss you'd do before you beat the game to do New Game Plus. Uh-huh. She, she's, she throws, you're right, she throws a lot at you. I didn't notice she, she'd leech your health until maybe like an hour into attempting her. I was just like, oh man, her health's really, she's got a massive health bar. I'm not doing nothing. <laughs> yeah. And then I saw it building up. I was like, oh, oh no. Um, but I think you mentioned and mimicked it. Um, the, what is that system called? Spirit summons? Uh, yeah, Ashen summons. Just, or yeah. Ashen spirit summons. Um, she, the, the game, I think, really, really is like, this is a mechanic we have and we want you to use it. Um, you don't have to, obviously. Um, it's never a requirement, but I feel like there's like, you get the get good crowd that are like, oh, well, you used summons or you used this weapon. You didn't do it right. Um, which is a mentality I hate. I think if someone wants to beat a game and the game isn't online, they're not cheating in any way. Let them have fun. Let them beat a game how they want. Um, those summons feel integral to the design of the game. Not just that, but like they've got that new defense move where if you block an attack, you like counter it with quite a powerful move, but it feels risky because the windup's pretty big. Those two like new additions to the system feel pretty integral to the way combat is designed. Um and I didn't use Mimic Tear. I did not. I'd, I'd beaten the game before Mimic Tear became like a known, oh, this thing's like the best thing in the game. I was using Oleg for the whole game once I'd got him. He was like pretty, pretty powerful. But Mimic Tear is insane conceptually, like how, how much that allows this summon to do. Um, it feels like it's broken, but it's not. That's just like they've... They've nerfed it in patches, and apparently it's still still the best move uh, or the best summon. Um, but I feel like Melania is... I don't think she's cheap um, in the same way you do, Miles. I think she is a assessment of your ability to use what the game expects you to. Um, much yeah. like... Much like Neo, um, I don't know if either of you have played the Neo games, but those games, while they're Souls-likes, they have their own systems that separate them and they feel integral to use. There's a stance system where you switch between stances and you'll, your move set changes, and that's an integral part of the game. And the game gets a lot easier when you start using these mechanics that are designed to be used. Um while I ran the whole game with the katana, I also had a shield the whole time because that defense move, the little, I can't remember what it's called and it's been a while, but you'll block, they attack, and then you hit R2, yeah. I think, and you'll counter it with like a really powerful swing 
but the windup's massive and it's picking your battles. There's a very big risk or reward element to it um, that I love. Like, I think that defense in Souls likes, like Bloodborne, obviously, that there is no defense other than a dodge and hit them, kill them first. Um, Sekiro, Sekiro is a game built on defense. Um, that's a game about opening up offense using defense. Defense is your primary tool. Um, things die in Sekiro super fast, but you have to work at their their um, posture, their poise, whatever the system is. In this, they've aligned that little defensive system from Sekiro, not quite in the same way that I thought they'd do. I thought that system would come back um, because that system's great. Um, it, it adds like a nice rhythm. But they they've changed defense just enough that defense feels integral. A shield kind of feels like another one of those, you should probably be using this because it's really good. And the same goes for the jumping attack. There's a jumping attack that you can do that is, I think it might break them, like it, it'll stagger them or something. Um, there are all these little elements that the game, especially in the Melania fight, like I say, it's it wants you to use everything the game gives you mm-hmm. um i think it's designed so if you if you really understand these systems if you really um understand when to use them how to use them patience etc this fight will test them all um and and while i didn't use all those systems and i definitely had a tough time with melania she's probably the the longest it took me to be a boss in this game on re-evaluation she feels very much like a this this is the actual final boss this is what it should have been and oh yeah i agree with that and and um and to build off that it's crazy how much she was in all the promo stuff Uh, yeah she's almost like the main character she was she's like she's the focus of a lot of those trailers and she's in the last 10 percent of the game for one fight and the intro cutscene. I think her law significance is like the major. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. She's she's massive, and I have uh, after after binging this game, I kind of burnt out a little, so I've avoided a lot, and I'm now starting to catch up on watching people like streamers that I like play it and watching law videos. So I'm starting to piece together some law, and yeah, her her law significance is huge. Um, But I think even just on a base level, her inclusion in the game is them being like right this is like the real test this is the one if you can do this good shit you've done it um <laughs> like you get the game oh well done you beat an elden ring yeah yeah, yeah. Congra- congratulations clap clap you did it um yeah enjoy elden beast though fuck you yeah <laughs> fuck, um, okay. fuck that boss but yeah I, f- I felt like we we none of us have brought melania up and she feels like a very very important part of the game in a really weird way considering she's completely optional um she feels like the truest test of your ability in a way that elden beast just doesn't yeah and i guess josh obviously we've kind of brought up there about mimic tier and the jump attacks and the ashes of war and that was going to be another thing i was going to bring up and i guess in the context of melania you know you make a fair point some of you can play souls games however you want to and i guess i kind of did that i went to great swords i brought in my mimic tier and i used the physic for damage negation and i just went all in to smash her to pieces on my fourth go and i beat her 
But I guess, Josh, Mimic Tier was a really big thing for this game. I use Mimic Tier post-nerf, and he was still pretty good. Um, I know I think you used him as well. So in terms of Mimic Tier, he's quite divisive in the community. And I wondered, obviously, Tom, you've mentioned it, but Josh, how did you feel about, I guess, Melania, Mimic Tier, using the new things and the new systems? Well, I think Tom made a great point um, with the with the summons being an integral part, like there are fights where there are two bosses in one arena, like, and that if you don't use a summon, like at some point that kind of doesn't make sense. You know, like the gargoyles, like, there's two coming at you at once. Like if you had a summon, there you are, there's two people. One can take aggro from the other. Um, and I think I played Mimic Tier post nerf as well. Like maybe the first nerf that it had, I don't think it's had a second one since then, maybe even more. Um, and yeah, that was kind of like my fallback go-to summon just to just to survive these bosses. <laughs> um, and yeah, like there is that get good community that are like very purist, very like you can only use what you've got. You can't add anything else to it, but they're in the game for a reason, you know, like just get as much enjoyment as you can from the game. Don't worry about what you're using, how you're using it. Um, the Ashes of War were a really cool, like, uh, addition to the fights as well. Like, you could, I, I think I, like, experimented with them more than the weapons themselves because they were so fun to use. Um, but, yeah, I think, I don't know what else I want to say about that. But... Yeah, I know, yeah, fair enough. I, um, <laughs> I think jumping is a massive addition to the game. One I would like to see stay, but I'd like to see it refined a bit more because I found that jumping heavy attacks were so much preferable to any other attack because if you tried to use an R2 attack with a greatsword anyway that I was using, it would just take too long to wind up normally. But if I jumped, I could A, just guess and hope that the enemy was going to swing underneath me, which a lot of the times they would, and I could do my heavy attack at the same time in the same animation. So it meant that I could damage their poise to potentially break them and get a free hit in. Um, I could potentially evade attacks really easily and I could get a heavy attack in almost every time. So I found myself in most fights just jumping and smashing downwards for everything. Um, so I like the concept. I agree with you. I think Ashes of War were great when I found the Rivers of Blood Katana with its um, Ash of War where you can like fire off with, like a chain of like bleed damage. That was insane. I used that in Melania's Blade for the last few fights and I just bled out everything and it was super, super effective. Um, and yeah i feel like mechanically the changes that they've introduced and in summons as well um they are integral and i think part of me thinks that's really cool that's really good that they're bringing in new things and making them a good part of experimentation and encouraging you to think about your build more but i also kind of found that you know one v wanting a boss in a souls game for me is where a lot of the reward is that's kind of why i play them i enjoy the exploration to a degree but a lot of the time I enjoy the combat, the flow, and when you're neck and neck, no healing left, you're both on one hit from death. And I think that's why Bloodborne was so powerful for me. And so the fact that the game is almost built around using summons, I don't know. There's something about that, which while I loved Mimic Tear and I loved my jellyfish, she was like my favorite part of the game, potentially. I found it a bit, I don't know, underwhelming. I don't know if that's the right word, that I kind of almost had to use them. Or I would face hours and hours of frustration running around stamina management and all that kind of crap. And I found actually it was so much better to just bring in my mimic tier to even up the fight. And I guess a part of me is thinking like, 
yep like you said Tom there's the good get good crowd who are like nope you should just get good you should have just practiced and played it and I was like I don't have that time to waste in my life anymore to do that and equally I don't feel like the bosses are designed with that in mind anymore it feels like they're designed with all these other mechanics mm-hmm. in mind and I kind of miss the the one-to-one straight up let's have a fight and let's see if I can gauge your moves and use my skill kind of thing um but having said that I think the summons the action summons are great because it gives it more of an option for people who don't have who don't want to use online co-op because i'd never felt like i needed to use online co-op in this game and i think for lots of people that's very good if you don't have internet connections or if you just don't want to rely on other people it's nice that you can have an alternative which is just as effective if not more so because they don't even boost the boss's health pool like it does when you summon someone else in um so i guess i feel a bit mixed with it but i like the introductions I just, I guess, would have liked a bit more balancing, if that kind of makes sense. Uh, Yeah. It feels like these are probably systems that are going to stick around, at least in some capacity going forward. Yeah. Um, If they ever do an Elden Ring 2, etc. It's it's a refining process, I think. Like, the ones that are are there, they're good. Um, But yeah, there's definitely wiggle room on making them, I guess, less depended on because mm-hmm. like you said there is a there is a vast sort of community like community among souls players where they do like you want to just do the fight and that's it and that that i totally vibe with i get it's not how i play but it's the people that are like oh if you use these other things that are in the game no you didn't even beat it you're garbage you're trash get out. oh god those, those people are the part worst of the community is awful and um it's just or not... the and the, the part of the community that watches someone play it and it's like you're playing it wrong mm-hmm. terrible yeah. Um, but like you say, like I, you're in the part of you know the 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 good person part of the soul community. <laughs> I try where, where you where like you know you're you're expressing your like want to one v one, but you're not trying to take away how other people play the game. Mm-hmm. And I think Elden Ring is the most accessible a Souls type game has ever been because there is such a large variety in ways you can play it. Um, so much more is viable. Um, summons are like sort of built into the game now, and there's so many of them that anyone's playstyle can be catered to, which is great. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think it's I don't think it's the easiest of these games. Um, I think Dark Souls Two is the easiest of all these games. Um, I think it's the game with the most mechanics that let you have an easier time yes i think a good way that i've seen this described is elden ring has a sliding scale of difficulty you just don't pick it at the start you pick it by how you play it what mechanics you're willing to use and like i said you know elden ring is probably the one where i've beaten bosses the easiest because uh if i brought in mimic tier if i use my proper build and if i use like the physic flask and whatever most boss fights i could just out dps them and i would be okay with that and so in a way it was the easiest game but if i took some of those mechanics away and challenged myself to do it without them it would be an entirely different story um so i kind of like the idea of it's like a sliding scale that's determined by you and it's quite organic in terms of what you decide to use and what you discover to use as well it's it's a dynamic difficulty where you're the person deciding how dynamic it is which is cool Um, yeah it's great it's i think there's a reason it's their highest fastest selling game part of it is 
the hype around it. But part of it is people can actually play it who may have had tougher times trying Bloodborne or the Souls games or Sekiro. Yeah. Um, there's there's a lot in it that will cater to a lot of play player types. Absolutely. And I guess, Josh, I know obviously, again, we've talked about it quite a lot before. I know you're not part of the get-go crowd, but I guess, did you have any similar kind of experiences of, you know, the bosses didn't feel like they were catered to one-on-one solo players or, you know, are you maybe part of the get-go crowd? You think that people should just kind of get with it or how do you feel about all the different mechanics and weaving them in? Uh, I'm definitely not part of that community. If anything, uh, I will find a way to cheese whatever if I could just to get <laughs> through it. And I am shameless with it. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I it goes from our trophy I, hunting route. A win is a win, right? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. And, you know, it's there for people if they want to do it. Oh, you know, crack on. If you want to hit your head against the wall for a few hours, have at it. I'm going to be chilling with Mimic Tia, watching him just shred him to pieces. Mimic Tia is bad. But I think that came, that comes specifically with Elden Ring, uh, with what Tom was saying, the ability to have options and it being almost kind of like the accessibility of it, uh, of, of the difficulty is that you don't have to go a certain path. You don't have to do a certain play a certain way or anything like you could go come go away come back over leveled whatever just have you know all the spells to your you know to your heart's content and just you know obliterate them um but uh whereas like the other games they do feel like more boss focused um so early on i kind of figured out that okay i'm not going to be in this solely for the bosses um, they're not going to be the one thing that's driving me through these games um, as opposed to like Sekiro kind of being like some of my favorite boss fights um, where it is very skill dependent on on the player like so I didn't mind it in the end because I, I was more engrossed in the world more engrossed into the story kind of going through you know doing all this little side quests and just finding bits just ticking off the list of things to do in the, across the map really definitely yeah i guess it's a perspective of what you're wanting to get out of the game and how you approach it and i guess the final point on this you know without these options and things and the way different people play the game we wouldn't have had let me solo her become like such a sensation of this one person for context if you've not heard of this melania became so infamous particularly when the game had first released and people were going up against her that she was so tough. There was a guy who was acting as a summon just for Melania and he would join people's games and he would take her on on his own as a summon in nothing but like the, the cloth that you wear if you wear no clothes with a single sword and he would literally just beat the shit out of Melania for every other player that couldn't. Didn't and I thought... Pot, didn't he have a pot on his head as well? Yeah, it was just... <laughs> it was so cool. And I was like, that's the part of the Souls community that's amazing it's, is someone doing that. It's great. Um, yeah, and, and I think people have started to build around that as well. There's, there's now yeah. other, 
other types of people i think there's like someone i don't i can't remember they're like called like something like just do it yourself or something and they'll <laughs> yeah. come in and they'll just watch you try they'll and just, they, they sit down with the emote don't they and they just watch you take her on and obviously them joining your game makes melania harder because she gets more health mm-hmm. um there was the when the will smith thing happened there was like a clan of people playing like creating a character like will smith joining people's games walking up punching them and then just leaving and i was like that's incredible um and parts of the Souls community like that, it's a community that is so creative. And I, I, me and Josh had this when I was on chat with him a few times where I'd be riding along and I'd come across a turtle and all the messages would be, dog? Is this dog? Dog? Oh my, dog? Yeah, yeah. Everything was dog or butthole or fingers. And I was yeah. like, or rump. And or I was grass. Like, yeah. Grass was a big one. <laughs> yeah, it was. Um and things like that made the game feel really special for me. That sense of community with people that you never meet, you never have any actual interaction with, but just their messages. I love that part of it. And I think as much as the there's a part of the Souls community that can be very gatekeeping and part of me thinks, do you know what? Like these games are partially designed for you. So crack on, enjoy your fun as long as you don't, you know, like you said, criticize people mm-hmm. for wanting to play the game in a different yeah. way and use there's, the different mechanics. There's no right way to play this, especially Elden Ring. There's no right way to play it. Yeah. The right way to play it is the way that you enjoy. And whatever That's way you can it. get through it. <laughs> yeah, like, I'm, I'll shame, I'm like shameless. I'll play games on easy. Like, I played Persona 5 on easy because that game's like 100 plus hours. Mm-hmm. And, and like, battle systems and JRPGs aren't hard. They're just how much are you willing to grind? Yeah. Um, so I'd rather spend my time enjoying the parts of the game I enjoy rather than wasting hours and hours just trying to put, make a number bigger. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I completely agree. And I finished the game on 56 hours and a big chunk of that was that I wasn't willing to, when I realized that a lot of the boss fights were, you know, designed very differently to mm-hmm. old souls games, I was like, fine you want to play your way i'll play it my way then mimic tier it is this is my build i'll use bleed like mm-hmm. and in some ways there's an ingenuity that comes out of the community of finding different ways to get past it isn't there um, and just, you and you still say you'd give it like a 9.5 out of 10 and your experience I would. is so different <laughs> yeah. to mine and to josh's yeah um, like my playtime is double yours and we both feel that it's a great game and that's like the beauty of this game is that like you said, there's no right way to play it. Just yeah. play it, get what you want out of it, and you'll have a great time. Yeah, I totally agree. And even like, you know, I've, I've bitched quite a bit about the last 10%, but there are even parts within that. And like I said, the spectacle of the fights were was phenomenal. And even though it frustrated me at times, even though it bothered me and I felt more relieved than satisfied at the end, I was like, you know what? The game itself is such a masterpiece and there's so much love in this. I don't care. It's still incredible. Yeah, there's there's still that other 90% that you loved. Definitely. <laughs> and that 90% outweighs anything else for me anyway. And so lore and story are a big part of this. And this has actually been, again, quite divisive, which I find interesting because it follows the same Souls formula of story, which is that it doesn't tell you a lot. It's very vague. It's very item description heavy. It's very environmental storytelling. And NPCs will only do things if you discover them either by chance or by going out to look for them and only react to your actions and they're not really clear what they always want you to do but there was quite a big discourse around this i know toby talked about it on a on a pod and he's kind of tweeted about on a tweet or in a slack where he said that actually he doesn't like the narrative and storytelling 
way that from software do things and i really understand his point so i was intrigued to see what you guys thought so i guess start with josh you know how did you find the story and the lore of elden ring or the npc side of things um so my initial approach to all the games is just to play through them uh explore and beat all the bosses and not think too much about the story because not to say it's not important to me because it is uh i just prefer someone else telling me about it um <laughs> uh and i think the one issue i had with elden ring in particular is because it's such a big world the npc stumbling upon them or googling to find where they are like at the start before patches like you didn't know where they were you didn't know where they were gonna be after you've spoken to them uh, and you didn't know when their quest ended necessarily. Um, and that started getting a little bit um, frustrating. Um, not knowing where some of them, like some of your favorite characters, some of my favorite characters that I didn't know where their story ended unless they probably died right in front of me. Um, <laughs> so whilst uh, I kind of see Toby's point of view and like the story of like, com- coming through item descriptions and stuff like that like it's there for people that want it i think it's been a tried and true method of keeping a community um like engaged in the story and the law like it's very hands-off it doesn't let it it doesn't shove it in your face although i think elder ring has more cutscenes than not as many as sekiro but more than the other games that give more context um, which maybe some people don't still still don't find enough, but um, yeah, I think it's always felt to me like a side thing to enjoy after you've played it. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess I'll talk a bit about it afterwards. But Tom, do you kind of feel the same? Did you have any, I guess, kind of criticisms of the storytelling? Did you really like? Do you like its style? How do you feel about it? I'm a big fan of how Miyazaki tells like the stories in these games. I think I read an interview around the time Dark Souls 3 came out where the way he tells his stories is inspired by him reading like old um, like European fantasy books. And because he's Japanese, like he'd lose a lot of the um, the detail in the language. He'd There'd be like translation issues. So a lot of the story for him came from like filling in those blanks. And you can see that in these games because they are so like description heavy if you don't read the law in the item descriptions you're missing out on a chunk and i did miss out on a chunk um like i said earlier i i was just so caught up in playing it that i wasn't really reading the law and like i said i, I didn't really understand what the eldering was um and i am gonna go back through and i have started watching like law videos because i do love doing that i'm much like josh i like having it sort of told to me as opposed to experience because it's very cryptic and it's a lot of work and especially because of the size of this game um it's going to be even more work so like the the community on youtube that does law uh, for souls games they've got content for years now um and people will stick around because this game has been so massive and it's done so well like people I'm going to imagine there's a lot of people like me who did just play through it and didn't deep dive into a lot. I think that always is, which is why those channels on YouTube do so well, because they condense it and they take out all the work and they give you the 
really interesting, juicy, like meat of the story uh, without you having to read a bunch of items or, oh, I missed one item, so I don't really understand the context of things. Um, that's not great. I love stories and games. Story, uh, the, as the older I've got, the more I appreciate a game for its story and its narrative. Um, and I love the narratives that are in FromSoft games. I, it's, it's a lot of work to really find it yourself. And I love, I love that it's there and I love that it's mysterious and I love the vibe of that. I love that it's very piece it together yourself to really get it. I just don't like putting in that work myself. I like just playing the game and like Josh said, having it told to me later. And I will go, I will go through again and I'll do a law playthrough. And I imagine it's going to be like half the time. Um, but yeah, I, I burnt out real fast. Um, and I'm, I'm literally only just as of the last sort of two weeks starting to watch people and watch uh, like deep dives into the lore and stuff. So I'm really now starting to like who's related to who, who's whose son, who's whose daughter, who Marika and Radagon really are. Like I'm now just discovering in that and it's making a lot of uh, like pieces come together and it's starting to contextualize the game a lot better for me. I just, I just don't like doing it during it. It feels like my playtime would be doubled. Yeah, I completely, I feel very much similar to you in that frame of, I don't want to read item descriptions. And I guess <laughs> I got to the end of the game and I had no fucking clue why I'd been doing the entire time. I didn't know what these bosses were, why I was fighting them, why I was being called tarnished or maidenless for the whole time. There was that whole meme about not having a maiden. Um, and I don't know, did you both get to the end and not have a clue why you were fighting this giant worm didn't, thing? Didn't have a clue why the Elden Beast was what it was. I do yeah. now. I understand a little bit more now and I've, I've delved into it. Like I said, like the the name Elden Ring didn't have a clue what that meant. I just knew it was a thing that is shattered and go piece it back together, do it. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Josh, were you the same or did you kind of have an idea or? I think I had like an inkling of an idea only because before playing the game, uh, I think somewhere I read or saw someone say that Elden Ring isn't a ring. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it took me too long to realise that. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I think maybe uh, in like the intro, it kind of describes what Elden Ring is a little bit. Um, but I no, I, I guess like Elden Beast, I had no clue what they were until kind of watching a video that they're kind of this uh, being that has travelled through universes and found this world and they're kind of leeching off it and leeching off the earth true, and, you know, and then all the politics side of it of the people that live in, the, live in that land already. Um, I mean, I saw similarities to like the boss characters like uh, Radagon and Melania, I was like, they've both got orange hair. What's yeah, Radan with his flowing red hair. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, there's pieces that you can put together. You can kind of, I think one of the best things that uh, Soulsborne series have done is the environmental storytelling, mm-hmm. not necessarily giving you the bigger picture, but 
seeing things unfold, not uh, having unfolded on in front of you, um, like just the kind of putting, like uh, Thomas said about putting your own story into the the blanks of kind of you know all these areas that have been lived in and you're kind of piecing together the mystery of how it's ended up what it looks like and stuff like that yeah completely and there are some details which i noticed having played the other games obviously environmental storytelling is such a big part of it and when you go to liania when you look up at the sky you can see the ranala's great moon and when you go towards rani's tower you can actually see in the distance there's like a dark moon and i was like huh that's and then i sort of pieced together as i was doing rani's quest line i was like ah so she's obviously like her daughter but she was born in like the shadow of the full moon that's why she has like a dark moon and that's why you get the dark moon greatsword at the end of her quest line and i was like okay i can actually piece some of this together and my favorite part of souls games is that when i'm playing them i don't have an absolute scooby-doo of why i'm doing anything i don't know why i'm running around i don't know why this castle's here i don't know why i'm killing this person in this place i don't know why radagon is the final boss or why this weird slimy worm looking glowy thing is the final you know actual boss and then what i love to do is go online and like you guys have talked about have someone dictate it to me and <laughs> we mentioned it just but varty Vidaya, if you've ever heard of him his voice is to absolutely die for. I wish I had a voice as glorious as that man's. Um, but he does lore videos about all of Soulsborne. And he's got like one and something bit million subscribers. And all he does is lore stuff for Souls. And the first thing I did as soon as I finished the game was I jumped straight into that lore video. So I could go, oh, that's why I was fighting Radan. That's why Renala was like this. That's why Rani's questline leads to a new ending. Because I love the law behind these games and the details that people find and pick out i just don't have the kind of intuition myself to look at things and go oh yeah that's kind of fucked up i wonder why that's there i just go and go oh that's kind of fucked up where's the next thing i'm killing <laughs> and although they're talking about all these stories uh i think even they preface that it's not a hundred percent this is our interpretation whether it's the singular person or the community that have kind of uh put together the pieces themselves and they take inspiration from them ideas and then they come up with their own like these aren't this isn't all set in stone this is kind of like what we think this is what do you think do you like the story in that direction do you have your mm -hmm. own ideas um and it's been like that for the whole series of games that they do is that it's never too particular it's an it's just enough to like have yeah. a coherent like idea amongst the community but you you know you can make what you will of whatever it is yeah um, i think fromsoft are very confident in the worlds they create i think um a lot of games you'll start the game and the game will spend a lot of time getting you into the world and trying to introduce it to you in a way that like is kind of obvious in a way that's very handholdy and guided and like a slow start. And from soft games, don't care about that. They'll give you an intro cutscene that sets up the world and then put you in it and go find. If you want to deep dive, 
find all this stuff out, go. And they've they've been a little bit more um generous with the amount of stuff they actually tell you as they've gone on. Like Dark Souls one, Demon Souls, very um, here's the cutscene. Now go do the rest of the game, figure it out. Item descriptions will tell you the rest. Um, Sekiro, I think, is their most story-heavy title, um, but it's also their most different in terms of the games they've made since Demon's Souls up to this point. Um, Elden Ring, especially, because they got uh, George R. R. Martin on board, there is such a dense world built. Um, Josh mentioned at the start of the stream that he was pretty sure they'd mentioned Elden Ring 2. I don't think it was Elden Ring 2 they'd mentioned, but it was that there's going to be more stuff in this world because it's so... You don't get George R. R. Martin to come and develop this world for you and just use it for one game. There's going to be DLC. There's probably going to be potentially books. There's comics for Bloodborne and Dark Souls. They're going to create not necessarily a franchise, but the world of Elden Ring, they've got so much for, and they're just so happy to let people figure it out and discover it at their own pace or not. They don't force you to watch and listen to very sort of tired world explanations to try and sit you in and make you like, okay, understand this is what the world's like. It's not like your world. It's this for four hours and then go play uh from soft is very much go play at your own pace um story's not the most important thing in this game gameplay is front and center um there is story you can find it but you don't need to um and it's really nice and refreshing and i think we're gonna see in the next Probably in the next couple of years, because it's going to be a little while. Obviously, games take time to develop, but Elden Ring is going to do for open world games and the storytelling within what Breath of the Wild did. It's going to have some sort of knock on effect, and places are going to look at this game and go, Oh, we don't need to force feed these things into players' mouths because this game's successful and it doesn't do that people just want to play a game and enjoy it. They don't need hours upon hours of tutorializing and forced storytelling. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. The game is designed for what the game is, but I think Elden Ring is such a huge deal. It's going to inform game development going forward. Yeah, I'd completely agree with you. I think that's one of its biggest strengths is that it veers away from traditional open world formulas and it doesn't handhold you. It doesn't tell you why you're here, why you're doing what. It gives you freedom of gameplay, but freedom of story as well. You know, if you want to role play as a tarnished and figure out what your role is being a tarnished and why you're doing the things you're doing, you can. Or you can play it like me, where I'm like, I don't know what the hell I'm doing, but I'm just going to go around and thwack some shit. And the game will be like, cool, you're just a guy running around killing bosses because you're a badass. And, you know, there's a there's a power fulfillment role, even if you don't know what you're doing. And I think that's quite interesting because so many games are so determined to give you a preset role within their world that it feels like the world can't exist without you. Whereas in this world, you're just a tarnished, you know, 
me playing the game is no different to someone else playing the game and whether I finish it or not other people will and other people won't so the role of the tarnished worked really well as the sense of everyone who's playing the game is just filling that role and whatever that role looks like for them is up to them um and I quite like that narrative approach to it as a refreshing change of pace from everything else that we play at the moment um which is very handholdy and I've just gone to horizon zero dawn which is almost completely opposite style of Mm -hmm. I'm told almost everything I need to know, which is kind of nice because I don't really have to work hard. I get told it, there's dialogue, there's cutscenes, but a part of me kind of thinks like there's a lack of discovery. You know, if I did notice something in say Stormvale cast, I noticed loads of people were like hung up and mutilated. And I was like, huh, the leader or the owner of this castle was probably a piece of shit, or there was probably a massive battle here. And he just strung up all the prisoners to make a point. And then I met Godric and I was like, ah, <laughs> kind of makes sense. Um, whereas, you know, with other handholdy games, it's nice to have the story fed to you, but you kind of lose that sense of a little bit of the discovery from it. But both approaches are completely valid. But I think, like you said, this is going to have a real knock-on effect on how many games feel like they need to hand deliver you their, their narratives now. I think a lot more are going to be more confident that, like you said, if Elden Ring could do it and be this successful, why can't we? Uh, yeah, you mentioned Horizon, and I don't, I know you're not on Twitter, um, but I don't know if you'd have heard. Around, when Elden Ring launched, uh, developers from Gorilla, yes, I remember um, this. Yeah. They there was a couple of other like uh, UX designers, a user experience for listeners or those who don't know. Um, they 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 were very critical because the game was getting like glowing reviews, but they were like, ah. Oh, the user experience in this game is really bad because it didn't have like a huge HUD with waypoint markers and stuff everywhere. And to to have the game be such a success in spite of that, because it direct because it doesn't have that, I think that's what a lot of people actually want games to be. They want games to trust them more, to be able to play it. Um it's it's a separate issue from accessibility. Accessibility and handholding, I think, are different. Yeah. I um, but so many games don't just let you start playing and doing the fun things. Games will uh, lock really fun, interesting mechanics behind hours and hours of playtime. I haven't played it yet, but supposedly Dying Light 2... Um, it takes like 10 hours to get the really fun movement in that game. And a lot of that game's trailers are very focused on look at the parkour. The parkour's really cool because that's what I liked about Dying Light 1. Um, but like, imagine if Titanfall came out and they waited four hours for you to, to get a mech and let you wall run and do all the fun parts that make that game unique. Um, it's baffling design. And I understand like you need to cater to a wide audience, but it feels like a lot of big budget games think players are stupid and won't get it. And that is not on the players. That's on the design of the game. People, Elden Ring doesn't give you hours and hours of tutorial and lock mechanics behind levels and how long you've played and story progression it just gives you the tools you need and it's like go do it go play much like breath of the wild 
Breath of the Wild you can open up and run and beat Ganon in minutes if you can do it. Um, and I, I, Elden Ring, I think, is informed a lot by the design decisions of Breath of the Wild. And while I don't think Breath of the Wild is massively innovative, it did a lot to prove players do want that. People don't need hours and hours of time invest because time is important. Like, we only have so much of it. Don't waste hours of your development and on things that is somewhat commonplace or can be explained in a much simpler concise way by just letting people play the game it's i i don't understand it but i really really hope that the way this game has been a success has a domino effect on game development as a whole yeah i think you're right and i think people are bouncing off the I always use Ubisoft as my go-to comparison of the it's so unnecessarily handholdy that the the I've towers yeah, yeah. I've bounced off them completely mm-hmm. and Elden yeah. Ring was such a breath of fresh air. There's so many of that type of game that it's just like why is this the norm? Yeah, we've seen it so many times. Even Breath of the Wild had the Ubisoft towers, but it didn't lock you behind anything. You could go to them. You can do it. Um, so I played the most recent Far Cry, and there's like zones that you're just not supposed to go to because they're too high level yeah that's not fun yeah it completely stifles the sense of exploration and discovery which is a shame so i guess narrative wise you know we're pretty in agreement actually we quite like the story and narrative structure like i said i know toby had some very genuine very valid um issues with it which i think was quite fair i guess side quest progression and characters was another big factor for people in this is where a lot of the criticism came of, you know, I have really wanted to play Kingdom Come Deliverance. And part of the reason I haven't is because I know it's like another hundred hour game. But also I really want to get immersed into a world where if someone tells me to be somewhere at a certain time and I don't turn up, they just piss off and I can get stuffed. Like I quite like that idea. Um, and Elden Ring, I actually think is a bit more forgiving with this than previous Souls games, which is why it actually surprised me that this has come up as such a big conversation because in Elden Ring, I got near to the end of the game and I could still go back and do NPC quest lines that I'd only not even started really at the start. There were a couple I'd missed and I probably met maybe half the NPCs potentially and actually progressed them to a significant amount. My favorite was Millicent's. I think her quest line was one of the best written from soft side quest lines for me. Um, and Alexander the Warrior Jar, we've got to talk about him because that dude is fucking amazing. And he deserves a spotlight in this podcast just for him because his questline is dope. He reminds me of the Onion Knight. I think that's intentional. And the ending to his questline is both tragic and awesome at the same time. So before we go into the rest of the characters, did you both meet Alexander the Warrior Jar? Did you fulfill his questline? Alexander is great. <laughs> great. He's, he's wonderful. <laughs> Josh, did you uh, meet Alexander? Yeah, I definitely met him. Did I finish his quest line? I'm not too sure, uh, which is kind of what you'll, I, you'll know if you did. Yeah, you would know. Well, then maybe I didn't because it's like I said, with the with the tracking of the quest, I really just didn't know where I was going with a lot of the characters. Like, uh, pre-patch, like, I'd, I'd just lose them. I wouldn't know where their story had ended. Uh, I think I guess Alexander is one of them. I, uh, yeah, I beat the game like a few days before that patch dropped where they put map <laughs> markers. Always the way. And, and I definitely missed... Uh, I didn't do Millicent's quest line. 
I didn't do the gold mask quest line. Uh, there's this stuff. There's a lot of like I said, and I played a lot of the game, but yeah, uh, initially it was very, very. <sighs> I can't think of the right word, but it was very hard to find where people would end up. It's not. Oh, dead air. Um, <laughs> it's uh, it's yeah, it's just hard to find them and. But like you said, Miles, this is the fairest it's ever been on side quests. Yeah. Um, I, because of my weird progression through the game and I didn't go to, I went to areas much higher level than I was meant to. A lot of side quests progressed around that, but it never, I don't think it ever locked me out of thing. Like I know Blythe is meant to go to Siofra and for me, he didn't. He was just at um, Kaled because I'd already done Siofra. Um It's it's very, I, I think it was kind of necessary for a game this size and them doing an open world game that that they tweak that formula that has been so ever present where, oh, you, you fucking didn't do this thing at this exact time, too bad, and you're done. And that's yeah. it. Yeah, um, tough luck, kid, try again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so... I kind of found it where Alexander's storyline was one that I really enjoyed. Every time I came across him, it brought a smile to my face and I enjoyed the interaction and trying to figure out how to get him out of whatever predicament he was in. Like I said, it gave me a very nostalgic feeling of the Onion Knight in DS1 when you'd find him and he'd be like, yeah, I'm this really capable warrior, but I'm really stuck. Please help me out before I get messed up. Yeah, he's he's absolutely like Siegfried or <laughs> Siegmeier. He's yes. that character absolutely. again. But that's yeah. great. Like he, Because everyone loves that character for a reason. Yeah, and the idea of him being like a living jar, I think, is dope. Um, oh, but... the the concept of the living jar is just <laughs> is horrible. When he when he explains to you about like what's in that jar, mm-hmm. it's I'll I'll dodge around it just in case Josh doesn't know. <laughs> it's pretty but gross. It's, it's horrific, and he's just like, "Hey, dude, you're really cool, though. You're a great warrior." Yeah. It's like, oh, oh, okay, stay away from me a little bit, though. <laughs> yeah, you'll be my best mate, but only at a distance. Um, and, you know, the fact that I'd met a few of these characters, brought them into the, the Radan fight, gave me like a feeling of camaraderie with them when I then ran into them again. Um, Millicent's quest line really impressed me because it's a very subtle quest line. There's not like a big bombastic part of it, you know, she will turn up to help you in a fight provided you've um, moved her quest line along far enough. And fulfilling her quest line can actually be your only way to get out of the frenzied flame ending. Um, so it ties like a, a means of changing your fate to someone who's quite important in the world, but is an optional side portion of it. Um, and she's very similar to Melania. She's got the Scarlet Rot. You get her the prosthesis. Um I just really enjoyed that aspect. But I also didn't know there is a dude who can change your clothing style for you, who you oh, can Bok. meet. Yeah, never met him. Didn't realize. Bok is, Bok is potentially my favorite side quest chain. Oh, damn it. I didn't uh, even meet him. And, and it's like, uh, I won't say what happened, but at the end of it, I was just like, oh, okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> he's lovely. Bok is really nice. And it's, I also like the new system of being able to sort of subtly edit your stuff. Um, I kind of wish it let you pick colors. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, Bach is great. And fine, like 
he's he, he's a bush. He's just disguised as a bush in Limgrave somewhere. Yeah, never found um, him. I'm pretty yeah. sure he spoke to me, and I never I, discovered. I didn't. I didn't find him. I didn't find. I couldn't find Alexander, and I couldn't find Bach myself. I did look up where they were, but that's because I'd I'd watched the um the the little previews that people got of the game in the network test that came out. Oh, so I yeah. knew they existed, and I was like, I want to find these characters because they're interesting. Yeah, totally. And the Volcano Manor, I found really interesting as well, because there's like a whole set of NPCs who are there. And I love the idea that Rykard's, I think it's his wife who meets you in the Carrion Manor. And she's like, go do this quest line and you can meet him or you can find the invisible wall, do the dungeon, kill him. I mean, if you go back to her, she's like, you know what? You're a piece of shit, but you did beat him by strength, which is what we're all about. So fair enough. You know, you've won. And I was like, huh, okay, fair enough. And then the other characters kind of were like, oh, you kind of screwed up the whole system. But again, you respected the rules and you did it through our logic. And I was like, there's such immense world building to put this group of people inside a volcano in one of the the toughest, most intricate dungeons areas. And to then have the kind of weave it back around where they respect the fact that you beat the dungeon. It's like the game rewards you for beating a big boss and then rewards you narratively with the NPCs around you being like, fair enough, you're quite a badass here. Um, so I quite like that approach to the quest line, but I looked up, there were loads. I got Shabriri in the mountaintops of giants because I never met the, the avatar that who was them before. I never met them in Lyernia, so I never went in to save them. So they died and then Shabriri replaces them. Um, there was all sorts I looked up afterwards and I was like, damn, I missed out on so much. But that just made me think, that's so awesome that other people have had so many different experiences with different characters and not had any of the ones that I did with characters. Um, there's, and yeah. there's, there's a lot. There are, there are so many NPCs in this game and I think almost all of them are interesting. Like the, the, the NPC side quests in this game feel important and worth doing. There's, there's so many of them and now it's so much easier to find them because they updated the map which is great to do um because it's it's kind of hard to judge when the world state changes um but yeah like raya is great uh who who gets you to the manor i love her and her whole vibe she's like immediately very weird um and i did gravitate towards that I was like, I want to, yeah, I want to know what's, I, I want to, why are you standing like that? Like initially thought, <laughs> oh, she's going to be evil and she's not, she's just like the biggest like softy and it's lovely. Um, also a lizard. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's great. But that's what frustrates me is like, I'm quite a completionist and to know that I've missed some things in a playthrough to mm. have to go through another playthrough of like however many hours to get through it again. Yeah, like, I definitely. I don't want to do that. <laughs> I definitely missed at least two full side quests. I missed Dung Eater, and I missed the Gold Mask stuff, which is why I didn't know about the Marika Radagon stuff. And they're quite significant as well, story wise. The Gold Mask quest sounds almost like it should be mandatory. It's it's a boring side quest, but it fills in so much detail. Yeah, it fills so much story. You also need 27 intelligence just to be able to move the point forward when they get to Leyendale. And that was the point that I was like, I'm not respecting my character just to do this oh, no. stupid spell for your quest time <laughs> when it's boring and crap anyway. 
but it is it's an integral story detail which is kept in an optional quest line which is cool and i think josh you touched on something quite important of for a lot of people completionism is quite a big part of these experiences and from soft's design philosophy doesn't translate to that very well because they don't really care no um, like yeah you could do it in new game plus but all right well if i don't want to play new exactly. game plus <laughs> i don't want to do it the first go round. yeah <laughs> And I think that's a fair point of like, lots of people won't want to do that. And I think that's where the frustration comes from. But I guess now that you finished it, did you just go back and like look up the rest of their quest lines? Did you just not bother at all? Would you play the game again? How did you feel about it afterwards? Um, I'm not too sure who I've missed. I didn't look it up. Um, I feel like I tied up every loose end that I could find on the map because halfway through the patch came in where I could see the npc quest lines so i did i did as much as i could on the map as much as i found so i felt like i got the ending of all of them um so i don't know if i missed any uh i haven't looked into it um but yeah i just uh that's that's what i mean like i wanted to enjoy all these stories i wanted to get every little detail and maybe a little item at the end or something like that just to I don't I don't use all the items but i like hoarding all the items to say that i got it for my you know for completing it yeah yeah i think that's a really fair point and yeah there's just so much in this game that you i don't think it is possible to do a blind playthrough of this game and find every npc at every opportunity i think it's non impossible it you're right it's it's too dense it's it's not just that it's big it's that there's stuff everywhere and I feel like it's luck based as well. Like I stumbled onto like when I found Alexander in Mount Germile or Volcano Manor, whichever one he's in. And I just happened to go that way. And I heard like a noise, like the faintest bit of his dialogue. And I was like, I swear there was something here. And it took me like five minutes of looking around from where I was to actually see that he was in the lava. And I was like, shit, I could have just walked past you and never known. And then I never would have seen you again. What is uh, is that where you first found him? no so okay that was just part i was of gonna quest. say yeah yeah because I, I i got i got to the manor very late because you can get there earlier There's, i did um, yeah i just walked straight the, up the ladder the abductors or whatever they're called they'll um those big sort of iron maiden things that grab you yeah in ray lucaria yeah of the wheel isn't it yeah if they grab you and you die you end up somewhere else and i didn't know that because i never died to one yeah um like you can get to Volcano Manor super early that way because that's how a lot of these this insane speedrun stuff is happening. It's like f- retrospectively finding out like a bunch of cool stuff is really exciting because a lot of games feel like they want you to know about all the cool stuff. They're like, hey, go over here. That's what like all the, like maps filled with waypoints. It feels like you're going from A to B because the game doesn't want you to miss anything. Um, and yeah, like hearing, like talking to you two, like I'm pretty sure you've mentioned stuff I had no idea about. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think Miles, it sounds like when you got to Volcano Manor, were you, were you not sent there through invitation? Did you not become not. one of them and do, yeah. like, do assassin quests or I, anything? I did not. Because <laughs> that was a that was a really cool part of where you were going to all these parts of the map mm-hmm. to kill uh people with the same cause just to uh, best them basically and then you get to um the last area where it's like 
the guy that you've been speaking to the whole time fighting you. Oh, I see. Because Rye is the person that gives you the invitation, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, you you go get her bracelet back from the prawn guy, <laughs> and I uh, never had that. So I got. Oh, did you not encounter the prawn man? I did not. No. So the way I got to vo- uh, volcano man or whatever it's called, Mount, Mount Gurma, I went to the bit where the bridge is, thinking, "Oh, that's probably how you get up to that chunk of the map." And then I discovered the bridge was broken. So I walked back and I saw this giant ladder leading all the way up, and I was like, "Oh, okay, I'll just go up there then." And that was my route to it. I did the entirety of the volcano. Patches turns up on one of the edges as you're progressing and up it. kicks you down. Boots me in. I saw the glowing stones on the ground. And I was I. like, that's Patches. There's the Patches moment of the game. Here it is. <laughs> I didn't Walked even over. think about it. I, I, I followed them like an idiot. <laughs> and, and he's like, ah, oh, you, you fucking moron. Bye. Yeah, literally. And it's even funnier now because we've had multiple games where he's done this, where he leaves the rocks, you walk over, he kicks mm. you in. And I knew it was going to happen. And I still did it anyway, just because I wanted to see it. I wanted to get the trope and they proper play on it. And um, so I worked my way all the way up the volcano. I found the, the manor. I walk in, I talk to the woman. She's like, oh yeah, you can go do this quest line. I was like, cool. I went and talked to the NPCs and then they mentioned a bunch of stuff. And I can't remember why, but I think either it's in a piece of dialogue or there was a message on the ground or something that was like, there's something about a different way to complete the manor. And I was like, huh, okay. And I was like looking around the rooms and there was a message being like hidden wall like a head or something but it was like pointing at a bit that wasn't a hidden wall so i just it looked really stupid i was rolling into every edge of the room trying to find if there was one and there is there's like a hidden illusory wall and if you go through it you can complete the entirety of um the dungeon you know area the dark souls you know legacy area and then get to rykard that way so i never actually went and killed the npcs i completely ignored that part and then at the end of the process, they're like, oh, yeah, you killed Rikard and you just did it. I don't know how you did it, but you did. So well done. And then they just pissed off. And I was like, cool. And then everyone was talking about how they got invited to it. And I was like, I never got invited. I just turned up <laughs> completely uninvited. But yeah, it's just it's one of those parts of the game that is, again, another story that I had that was completely different to what you guys experienced. Like, I just found it. I turned up there. Um, and I really like that the game is so dynamic in that way and that I could play the game again and probably still not find everyone again or I wouldn't progress every quest line to the end without looking it up and I think that's just a really nice way of justifying people going back in if they want to um but I can totally see why people would get frustrated you know if you want to finish it 100% you can't really if you play it blind um so yeah, that was kind of story and characters. I don't know if you both had any other kind of highlights, any other particular characters or kind of story moments that particularly kind of resonated with you or that felt like, you know, big parts of the game for you. It's just a big game with lots of <laughs> moments to enjoy. <laughs> big uh, game. <laughs> I love that. Um, yeah, it's just not even just the main stories just like the own the, your own stories that you make within the world is just amazing um it's such a diverse like areas to like explore and enjoy um outside of just the story quests as well yeah absolutely it's it's a wonderful wonderful world that they've built and as much as I have my gripes and I've certainly explored them today, this was part of the reason that I wanted to, to do this podcast was to be able to see 
how other people felt about some of the gripes that I had. And I just love the different perspectives people are having on it. There's so much discourse on it. It's generating so much discussion. And even the people who dislike the game, of which there are some, you know, a very small minority, but there are, you know, it's interesting seeing what comes out for different people playing this game. And I think that's what makes video games art is that it's open to interpretation and people take different things from the experience itself. And I think more than any other Souls game, like both of you, Elden Ring isn't my favorite one subjectively, but objectively, I think it's the most well-crafted one because of the types of experiences it's giving to different people. And I think that's what makes it still such a phenomenal game, even though I didn't enjoy everything of what it did all of the time. Um, but yeah, and I guess the last thing I wanted to ask really is if you were going to give advice to someone who's not jumped in yet, what would be your, I guess, your way to either motivate them to try it or your bit of advice to them that you wish you'd known before you jumped into it because we all jumped in on day one so what would be the one thing you'd have or the few things you'd have liked to have known in advance as to both of you uh i'll i'll go first then um <laughs> i'd say if if you're a player that's been put off by the the intense difficulty of previous souls games and especially sekiro because i definitely think that's the hardest one um there are so many tools that are well built and like they've really expanded on especially range stuff there's there is a play style for everyone and especially now that they've added that like map update and stuff it is the most accessible and easy to get into game from software I've put out. And it's like, even like I give it a 10 out of 10, Josh said an eight, you said a 9.5. Like, even though, like, I still think there are issues with it. They were just never big enough that I, I could give it anything more than that. Maybe that'll change and it probably will, but it's still an excellent game. Like it's clearly really well designed well thought out they knew exactly what they wanted to make and they made it and it it's utterly confident in itself um that even if even if you're not a traditional player of games like these there's a reason it's sold so well and a lot of that is the hype and build up but it is as good as people say it is and it is worth giving a try and unlike a lot of um games that come out now it's not 70 quid it's 50 and it's it's well worth that i mean yeah we've got to mention it was only 50 pounds at launch which is disgustingly like, good value the quarries come out and i'm really interested in that but it's 65 quid and that game's done in six hours and i'm not someone that typically replays games like that's a big chunk of change that's not nothing that's like oh that's potentially like a week's worth of food <laughs> like i i'm very not i'm very unhappy with the random shift that has happened with um next gen game launches that they've just bumped the price up 15 20 quid um but the games are still the same like even even multi-plat games like the ps5 version will be more expensive for whatever reason and i think 
the value proposition alone of Elden Ring is is worth it. It's 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 a great game, and I need to take my dog out. <laughs> <laughs> that was a very lovely put. To be fair, I think that's a wonderful way to summarize what this game is like. And yeah, if for newcomers, that there's a lot to offer here, and it is much more accessible potentially, especially compared to something like Sekiro or Bloodborne. What about you, Josh? What would be your your few things to give to someone who's coming into it fresh? Um, don't think that the path you're going is the only way you need to go, because it's not. Uh, play with a friend that's played it already. Uh, it's not the easiest way to get into a game with someone else, but there is a way, and they can show you how to play better and you know help you in all those hard moments. Uh, read all the floor signs. <laughs> They're more genuine than they aren't. Uh, oh my god, the floor signs though. Dog? <laughs> Try rump? <laughs> it's probably so, like my uh, favourite part. Apart, apart from that, it, they really do like aid you in your quest to, you know, proceed and, you know, it, it's little things, isn't it? It's like illusory walls. It's like, watch out for left, watch out for whatever, like, but they are for the most part like there to help you. And I think that is what everyone is when we're playing with these games. <laughs> we're all trying to help each other. Um, like we're always talking about how to overcome things. Like this whole podcast has been talking about our various ways of uh, overcoming the obstacles of the bosses and how we, how we did it. And, you know, Tom mentioned with the Mulk fight, you know, that there was an item that you never found Mars, but, this is what it's all about. It's all, and that's the most appealing aspect to it is that we're all like enjoying the same thing and getting our own things out of it at the same time. Absolutely. It's really special in that way that you can jump in from any kind of level of experience and have a good time. And I think the point for me that I've seen people who are not very good at games, either watch people play Elden Ring or have tried playing it themselves and you don't have to finish it. You don't have to be all the optional toughest bosses. You don't have to do the areas you don't want to. You can play as much of this game as you would like to play and you can play it in a style that you want to. And the Souls community, I think, sometimes gets a bad rap because there are the minority who are the get good gatekeeping squad. And I partially think that for some of those people, I understand why they have that. Souls is like an escape from a lot of the like we've talked about the really hand-holdy unnecessary parts of mainstream games which they want to protect that this is a series that doesn't have that that this is a series that rewards you for being you know critically thinking to find your own way and make your own discoveries but the community like you've talked about josh with the messages with the the summoning systems the pvp or every part of it is a really welcoming experience and you can play it with Ashen Summons now, you can play it with builds, you can look on the Wikipedia, you can go on forums. People will help you get through this game in whichever way you want to get through it. And one of the things I love is that you can go in and summon people and there'll be people who will troll you, who will come in as a summoner and then completely screw up your game. And there'll be people who will help you just get through an area. I remember in Demon's Souls, there was a clip of someone who joined someone's game as an invader wiped out every enemy on their way to the boss and then waved at them and then disappeared back to their world and the community doesn't get enough credit for actually how many 
good eggs there are within it and how supportive they can be. So if you're deterred because you feel like, you know, you've had the get good scrub, you know, be better at the game, don't be. That's not what it's like when you're actually playing it. It is tough, it is difficult, but you have so many tools and options available, like we've talked about, to overcome any challenge that's in the game, regardless of your skill level, I think. And because it's now an open world, if you hit a wall, you can just do something else. Yep. Um, previously, like, because obviously there have been linear paths and they've had bosses that you must beat, and if you can't, it really is a case of get good or just spend time grinding. And in this, while there are points of the game that you can be you can't get to potentially for a lot of it you can do it in a in a pretty weird order you don't have to do stormvale you, there's a path to the side of stormvale that just goes to the next area and it's not even hidden you just go there yep i stumbled um, on it before i'd even finished it and i was like oh <laughs> it's immense how much you can do without being stopped um so like if if you're a player that's been put off by the well if I can't beat this boss, like my time is with this game is done. Um but yeah, that's not the case anymore. You can just go somewhere else, do something else. There's always something else to do. Yeah. And to be fair, I really wish I'd had both of you there to tell me that I didn't need to take on Margit straight away and I wouldn't have smashed my head against the wall for 60 attempts and died every time. Um, but that was a learning process for me, one that I didn't think about until Josh was like, why don't you just go somewhere else? And I was like, I could do that, but I'm not going to do it now. I'm 60 attempts deep. I'm going to do this. And uh, yeah, I found my jellyfish and we did it. But thank you both for your, I guess, your perspectives, your thoughts on this. You know, this is such a massive game. We could talk about this, I'm sure. You know, we've done two and a half hours and I reckon we could go to six, seven, eight hours easily on all the different things within this game. It hasn't um, felt like two hours. No, it really hasn't. There's, Sorry, there's so much to talk. <laughs> yeah. To be fair, he did expect this to go on for four. So yeah, we've did. done him a favour, really. I know. I think I've kept it in a pretty good size. <laughs> yeah. uh, um, speaking about the jellyfish, did you do the side quest with the jellyfish summon? Uh, yes. I know I had the jellyfish. There's, I... <laughs> there's a, a jellyfish randomly out somewhere and they can't get somewhere they want to get somewhere but they're waiting for this for like a companion i'm going to reinstall the game right now i never did this and i want <laughs> yeah. to do it it's it's not even a huge thing i think it just opens a door and there's a chest in it but if you summon that jellyfish is the the jellyfish are like, oh, great and then they just like vanish away oh my I god think. it's lovely that was one of my like favorite little tiny <laughs> things and there's a few bits like that um those wizard towers there's one of them um, where you need to summon a little imp or something to, to unlock the door to get that thing that will let you yeah. use one more thing. Like puzzle mechanics that aren't directly like go over here, pull a lever. They're a little bit more cryptic and make you think a little bit. Um, I really love that. And the, that little jellyfish moment was really lovely. <laughs> oh, I was going to say, I'm really uh, jealous of that. And I was going to say jelly. And I was like, no, I can't do it. <laughs> <laughs> can't be doing that. Not on the podcast. I'll embarrass myself. We've got our end it here. We're, yeah, we're yeah. We, yeah. We've, got to, we've got to put it to rest now. Shall we, shall we make like the jellyfish and just vanish together? <laughs> <laughs> the jellyfish was, was life. I miss the jellyfish a lot. 
but yes like i said i just want to thank you both for coming on and talking about it because there is so much to this game and as much as you know i had my my gripes like we've talked about i think this is a wonderful spectacular experience and even if you are slightly unsure i hope this podcast has helped giving you a bit more information we've probably spoiled a lot of the story and narrative but like i said i had no clue about any of it and i was following it all the way through um but i hope you know if you are on the fence it's worth giving a go for the price investment even if you only play 20 or even 10 hours of this game i think those 10 hours will be well spent compared to a lot of other games which you know i always compared it to assassin's creed odyssey which was 80 hours of my life i wish i could get back and i can't um whereas this was 56 hours of my life I just want to repeat and do again. Um, so, yeah, thank you both for coming on. Your perspectives have been wonderful. Um, Tom, just a quick was... question for both of oh, you. Yeah. Go on. Is it your game of the year? <sighs> oh, that's that's the hard question. Hmm. Me, yes. Uh, yeah. This year's been a little bit uh, dry for me. I really liked Sifu and I really liked Dolly Olly World. I'm pretty sure they both came out this year. Uh, Elden Ring is the only game that's really been one that I've been really excited for and that has, done, like, I got Sifu and Dolly Olly World on sort of a whim because I'd heard good things. Elden Ring was something I was always going to get and it has absolutely lived up to what I wanted it to be. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's right now it's easy. Um, is there anything that can top it? <sighs> Probably not, honestly. Um, like the the next thing I'm most excited for this year is the Resident Evil Village DLC, and that's not even a game. It's just DLC for a game I already love. Um, I think COVID has had a much bigger effect on games than we initially uh, anticipated. I thought Final Fantasy 16 might be out this year, but they announced this next year, and I think that's because of COVID. Yeah, um, Japan are definitely locking down still. It's their uh, rules and stuff. Yeah, um, and that's totally. F- I'll wait for a game if the game's good. You know, like yeah, uh, I'd rather that I'd rather they you know not crunch and like kill themselves to make a product. Um, yeah, I can't. I can't think of anything that really would top this. It's it's really tough. Like, like I've played 116 hours, and I'd gladly do it again <laughs> there's there's not often i can say that about something i tend not to replay games anyway um but it's, it's too good and there's definitely going to be dlc there's no way there's two those two coliseums that one with a big jar yeah that's going to be something people have opened like messed with files on pc <clears throat> and seen that there's a modeled interior yeah there for a reason yeah like, there's going to be more and i can't wait and I, but I will wait because it will be good because Elden Ring was good and it was worth the wait. And it is absolutely without question my game of the year so far. And it probably won't be topped. I think, yeah, I think it's pretty hard to argue with that. I'm, I'm currently playing Horizon. For me, that's probably the only real contender this year. I absolutely adored what lies in the multiverse. That one for me is, is up there against Elden Ring just on a, an experiential level. Um, but I just don't think anything else this year can compare. And I know Kat will definitely take on bridge with that because Horizon, I think, is definitely her so far. Um, but I feel like Elden Ring has had such a seismic effect on 
the gaming landscape and how open world games like we've talked about are going to be developed from here it's a bit like it's got that breath of the wild syndrome where everyone is so in love with it it's hard to see past another game that's going to have the same influential effect and as much as i think elden ring has issues i just don't think any other game in terms of scope quality ambition and artistic you know design in general I think it's very hard to look past Elden Ring for Game of the Year, for me anyway. What about you, Josh? How are you feeling with it? Uh, I think you're both making very great points about it being the Game of the Year. But, uh, you know, there's there's still a couple of things coming out. Like Ragnarok could be it. Maybe. That's not going to be it, this year. If it's Come this on. year, it could be it. It's, it's it, not. <laughs> Uh, been a while pers- since we've heard anything <laughs> on a personal like Callisto Protocol could beat it oh yeah that's a good you point know? you're right I totally forgot there yeah. are things there I is mean, stuff coming you're right Forspoken this... isn't necessarily promising but what if it just comes <laughs> out of the gate and it's like <laughs> the best thing since life spread you like you yeah. don't know Fair point. there, there mm. are things that could happen um, but yeah right this moment there's been some great games there already but yeah Elden Ring has topped it I think yeah I think that's a fair analysis and yeah there are games coming but you know I don't think Gotham Knights is going to uh, eclipse oh, Elden Ring no. for me <laughs> <laughs> sorry that I just had to get another... it looks shit I'm really sorry Toby but I, <sighs> I, I don't like the look of it at all um but you never know like you said Josh maybe it comes out the gate and it's a phenomenal game and somehow it's better than Elden Ring I can't see it personally but you know it could happen in a weird parallel dimension maybe but yes i think that about wraps it up that's about two and a half hours of elden ring content i hope that's been enough and hopefully we're no longer maidenless after having finished the game and talked about it for so long um but yeah i just want to thank you both for coming along and being on the podcast and sharing your thoughts with me it's been really nice to deep dive into it and like i said hopefully we've encouraged some people to give it a go if they're still on the fence of it so this is the toughest part of the podcast the bit that i've been dreading since we started it which is that i've got to somehow do the closing spiel for this now cat's already set such a high bar because when she did this she bossed it first time i feel like i'm not going to be able to achieve that so ahead and in prediction i'm probably going to screw this up it won't be as good as roscoe and it won't be as good as cats but i'm going to do my best in the name of finger guns and in the name of being tarnished so Thank you very much for joining us on this special Elden Ring spoiler podcast. Thank you all so much for listening to it. Um, And don't forget that if you want to follow us all, you absolutely can. Just check the link tree in the bio in the description below if you want to find us in all the places possible. If you want to follow us on Twitter, you can at FNGRGNS, or you can follow each of us individually. Um, You can do that as well in the description below where you'll find all of our handles, except for myself, of course. This is a very weird part of the pod or the kind of final spiel where I've got to try and uh, explain that I'm not on Twitter and apparently I'm smart because of that. I'm Um, also pretty sure my Twitter is (laughs) not yet, but I do have one. And then also Tom, who is on Twitter, but doesn't use it because he's also smart, like myself. Oh, no, Um, I'm on Twitter all the time. My Twitter (laughs) is not included in the description yet. Okay, we'll have to fix that for you. We'll get you onto the link tree. Um, But yes, so we're all on Twitter except for me. Um, And if you really like what we do, um, you can always subscribe to our Patreon for $1 a month, which keeps the podcast alive and kicking on its various podcast services. 
Um, it keeps the website nice and shiny. And that's it, really. We'll be back very soon. There's only a few days to go until our regular pod kind of returns as usual. Um, and we'll head back with our usual services. Um, we're really looking forward to having you back on the next one. I hope you've enjoyed this Elden Ring deep dive. Um, I certainly have. And yeah, until then, until the next one, it's goodbye from our debutante, Tom Woods. Bye-bye. Pleasure to have you on for the first time. I hope you've enjoyed it. Been great. Um, <laughs> like, I, I, just to say, like, I genuinely love just talking about games, even games that I don't like and that someone does like. I love that. Like discussion about games is really just great like they're just great games are great <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> games are good we like games so i i i'd love to be on more of these i'm kicking myself i didn't come on the xbox one. Oh well if you're if you're keen you know maybe we'll host just a few more of them um because yeah i really enjoy this format we did a last of us two one uh last year which you know had a really good time with and like you i really enjoy the discourse of what we like and what we don't like and um yeah, I always find it super interesting to get people's perspectives. And yes, joining us for the second time was Dung Eater Joshua. Don't think I forgot, Josh. Um, so it's goodbye from Dung Eater as well. Thank you for having me on again. I will resume eating the dung. <laughs> if you ever turn up to another podcast, if you're ever on another appearance, you're going to have to label yourself as Dung Eater from now on forward. Not happening. I'm going to make it happen. You don't have a choice, sir. If I'm hosting, it's happening. I'll also let it in. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, and it's goodbye from me. I've been Miles. I'm the host for this one time only. Maybe we'll have some more in future for more games. Um, but if not, we will see you the next time on the Finger Guns podcast.